Talk Show. Recorded live. From St. Louis, Missouri, it's Keys to Lost. A weekly podcast dedicated to ABC's hit television series, Lost, from a musician's point of view. Hosted by keyboardist Matt Murdock and Leslie Sanazaro Sotti. And now, here's Matt and Leslie. And welcome to Keys to Lost, a weekly podcast about the ABC's hit television series, Lost, told from a musician's point of view. My name is Matt Murdock, and my co-host is Leslie Santi. Hi, Leslie. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Matt. Happy to be here with you. You too. Um, There's a lot of things right off the top that we need to talk about, but I guess the first thing is to let you know that today we are doing a review of the rewatch of White Rabbit. Um, This is Episode 9 of our podcast series. And White Rabbit first aired on October 20th, 2004. It was written by Christian Taylor, directed by Kevin Hooks. Uh, various guest stars, most notably John Terry as Christian Shepard and Veronica Hamill as Margot Shepard. That would be Jack Shepard's parents. And before we get into the actual review of the show, let's jump into some shameless plugs. My co-host Leslie Santi is a keyboard player and singer-songwriter throughout the St. Louis area and places all over the world. And uh, Leslie, why don't you tell me where you're playing this week? This week on Friday and Saturday night, you can find me at Aqua Lounge, which is inside the Lumiere Casino um, downtown in St. Louis on the landing from 8 to 12. That's a free show on both Friday and Saturday nights. Right on, playing the casinos. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and uh, as with me, you can catch me every Monday at the Broadway Oyster Bar with the Sular Blues Band from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. That's located at 736 South Broadway, approximately three blocks south of Bush Stadium, right next to the White Castle, if you're looking for a landmark. And uh, then this Friday, you can catch me at Edwardsville, Illinois, for their outdoor concert series, again, with Sular Blues Band. We play play from 8 to 10, and then Saturday, we're back at the Oyster Bar for a Saturday night uh, event with Sular Blues Band. That's from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and then on Sunday, July the 12th, you can also catch me playing solo at Squires, which is located in Lafayette Square, right near Lafayette Park, uh, for their brunch, which is 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., I guess I should also say that since we're rewatching, we're just part of a, a clan of podcasters and, and podcasts that are doing rewatches of episodes uh, throughout this hiatus uh, of all of Lost. And I have had the distinguished honor of being part of the panel of the Lostaholics Rewatch, which is hosted by Miss Nancy Drew of Lostaholics.com. And we uh, have a great time. I get to spend some time with... Uh, she also is on the Black Rock podcast with Kurt and Dan, and they're usually on the panel at the Lost Rewatch. Um, sometimes Heath and Miss Wendy from Lost Revisited Now also visit the, the Lostaholics Rewatch as well. That's on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we usually review about four episodes a week, which is a lot of fun to do. Uh, this week we only did three. I'm not sure how many. I can't remember how many we're doing uh, next week. But uh, it's always a blast because those guys just know so much about Lost, and I always learn something coming away from it. And uh, the fact that they let me spew out what little bit I know is, is a great honor as well. 
As uh, we are, so are a number of other podcasts, all part of the Lost Podcasting Network, which you can find at lostcast.blogspot.com. There you will find just about every podcast about Lost that's worth listening to. Uh, You'll find a link for it. It's kind of a blog style, and the latest episodes are posted where you can download the MP3 or find their webpage directly. Um, don't forget also to visit lostaholics.com because that's a great site with a lot of information and articles, interesting articles to read all about Lost. There's some other things coming up for the hiatus. It's funny, this hiatus is very uh, very full of, of activity. Usually I think everybody kind of shuts down a little bit, but this, this year with the rewatches and everything, all the podcasters are staying pretty active. Keith from Lost Revisited Now this weekend on July 11th, I think starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, will be hosting a Ramble On podcast where he usually has uh, a number of podcasters come on and they just talk Lost for, can be up to like eight hours at sometimes. Uh, I think they've had, they've had as long as an eight-hour podcast before. Um, but usually you'll find people like Nancy Drew or uh, Axel F. from from the Lost Mythos Theory cast um, on there, and of course Miss Wendy, who's absolutely a joy and a pleasure to talk to. Um, and oftentimes people from Jacob's Cabin, like Anna and Denise, uh, that's another great podcast that one should take time to listen to, and they can find that on the Lost Podcasting Network. And during this hiatus, uh, Anna and Denise are doing some hiatus casts themselves, and their next cast, they want to hear from you. I just thought I'd mention this because I got an email from Anna the other day uh, about this, and I sent her an MP3 of uh, saying what Lost meant to me. But they want to know what Lost means to you. You can send uh, her an email uh, at anna.n.indiana at gmail.com. You can attach an MP3 with your voice on it, or you can just write out an email. Or you can call their listener line, which is 646-495-9205, extension 35382, and leave a voicemail, uh, and they will uh, put your thoughts about what Lost means to you on the air. Uh, I that they'll probably put that podcast out towards the end of the month. But don't delay. Contact them now and let them know what loss means to you. And then for us, we're going to stop reviewing episodes for the next two weeks, and we're going to have a couple of specials ourselves. Leslie, we're going to do a theory show, a show dedicated strictly to the, uh, people's theories about Lost. That's going to be next Tuesday, uh, July 14th. That's field day, as was pointed out to me by Alex at 10.05 p.m. Eastern Time. We will have Alex from the Hiatus podcast and Axel F. from the Lost Mythos podcast. Nancy Drews has signed up as well, so it'll be great to have her. And Donald from Donald is Lost is looking to be there, and I'm sure that other people will drop in, like Heath and Miss Wendy from Lost Revisited Now and possibly Anna from Jacob's Cabin. Uh, And then... The really fun one, at least for me, will be the top ten episodes of Lost so far. Have you got your list together yet, Leslie? Still compiling, but it's coming together. Is it coming together? Yeah, I, I know I, you've I, had I, yours together forever, Matt. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I had to I had to change mine a little bit after this season, but um, I, it it did come to me rather quickly just because you know it's uh, some of them have been pretty clear favorites for me for a long time. That's going to be on July 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, um, an hour earlier than we normally go on, uh, and that's to accommodate some folks on the East Coast who's going to be calling in. Uh, But 
uh, it will be with Heath and Miss Wendy. Heath also has a podcast called The Film List, where he does a top ten of your favorite films or your favorite soundtracks or your favorite whatever television shows, directors. I think he's covered just about everything now. And, uh, and so we thought it would be fun for the four of us to combine and, and list our top ten favorite episodes of Lost of all time. And so we're just going to each present our own top ten list in the show. It should be a lot of fun, though. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, Matt. All right. So let's go ahead and get into White Rabbit finally, after I've spewed on for about 20 minutes about everybody else. Let's see. Uh, let's talk about White Rabbit and start with initial reactions. I'm sure that doesn't mean that much to you. Because back when you were called in the shots, you pretty much just reacted. Initial reactions. I think I'm going to start off this week. Uh, I just remember when I first saw this episode, as with the prior one with Walkabout, um, I remember being emotionally moved by this episode when I first saw it. And, of course, very intrigued by the whole thing about Christian. Um, But for the most part, I I just thought it was a a good, dramatic episode. And and I really really enjoyed it. Um, And, of course, uh, we were starting to get some of the the, uh, questions that we are still asking about Lost in this episode. You know, I remember uh, when I first watched it um, uh, being really happy that they continued following the man in the suit. I was so intrigued by him in the episode before that I was really happy that I only had to wait an episode to, to uh, at least get a good look at him. Um, and um, I remember that. I actually feel like um, in rewatching it and, and, and seeing it more than once, I felt more emotionally connected to it than I did the first time I watched it. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is, but um, I guess I kind of, you know, you kind of get used to seeing Jack as a character through all these seasons, you know, and and I, I maybe just kind of forgot how emotional his story really is and how, you know, how hard his parents pushed him and, and how, you know, how much he struggled with, with that history with his parents, and that was really really brought to in a, in a, like to the emotional forefront in this one. So um, I thought this was a really emotional episode, too. Great. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny uh, to, to go back and think about how the episode first moved you the first time you saw it. We keep the initial reactions in, in the format now because we're basically building our podcast library, and we, we kind of want to keep the same format even as we go into, into Season 6. And so I think it's good practice to, to talk about an initial reaction. But uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to remember because a lot of these episodes now I have, and I'm sure you have too, we've watched so many times, it's hard to be in touch with, with well, what we were feeling the first time we ever saw it. Absolutely. I totally agree. I, I, and I, I don't really think we can truly capture all of that, but, you know, we remember the big parts of it. I think the things that affected us the most or the least um, but I, I agree that a lot of the nuances are, are lost after you are lost after you see them several times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, <laughs> great. So uh, the next section, we will get into a scene by scene breakdown where we'll read off the scenes, kind of recap them, and then analyze little parts of them if necessary. So let's go ahead and get into that. Well, let me break it down for you, Mikey. Scene by scene breakdown. And this week, Leslie's going to start off because I started off last week. So in the first scene, um, we start with a young boy who's lying on the ground um, and who's starting to come to. As he's opening his eyes, uh, which is not so dissimilar from the very first scene of the very first episode where Jack is laying in the forest, 
uh, in the jungle. Um, we see the boy um, start to kind of take in his environment. He's slightly bleeding, and um, there's a, a kid a little bit bigger than him standing over him saying, stay down. And um, the boy lying on the ground turns to see another boy that he knows um, being repeatedly punched in the stomach against a chain link fence. Um, the boy standing above him says, it's your choice. Leave now and you won't get your ass kicked. Um, he looks over again at his friend, and um, his friend is just kind of staring back at him as he continues to be punched in the stomach. And um, the boy on the ground gets enraged. He stands up. As he starts toward his friend, the boy who was standing over him, who's now standing next to him, says, you should have stayed down, Jack, and punches him in the face as the screen goes black. Um, Immediately, we cut to um, someone shouting Jack's name um, a second time, a third time, and Jack is kind of coming to again um, um, uh, consciously on the beach. And um, we've just returned from a flashback of Jack's to find um, that Charlie is desperately running towards Jack, screaming, there's someone out there. Um, we then hear someone fairly far away from the shore out in the water screaming for help. As Charlie explains that he doesn't swim, Jack takes off for the water, swimming as fast as he can um, to get to, uh, to to the woman who's who's pretty far away again from the shore at this point. Um, everyone begins to kind of gather on the shore and 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 are, are watching what's going on. Um, as Jack is approaching the woman and getting closer to her out in the ocean, he the waves are kind of moving. You know, he's so close to the waves that are that are you know maybe a medium-sized wave, but still make it very difficult to see. Um, he eventually takes a deep breath and goes down under the water looking. He comes up a first time with no luck. Um, finally, um, after the second time he goes down, he uh, there's, a, there's a pause where we're waiting suspensefully, and then he pops out of the water with another person. Uh, but it's not the woman, it's Boone. And uh, Jack tells Boone just to breathe, that everything's going to be all right. Boone asks, did you get her? Jack looks to see uh, the woman who's still out further in the water, slowly being taken further and further out, um, who's still shouting for help, and he looks very torn. Um, he says quickly that they have to go back, meaning they have to go back to the shore. He starts swimming with Boone towards the shore, and uh, we see Kate and Charlie, who meet him at the shore to help with Boone, and immediately Jack turns back out in, uh, into the water uh, to go after the woman. Um, Kate yells to Jack. Jack says there's still someone out there. He swims out into the water, and uh, as he's swimming, the camera pulls back and shows the scene, the full scene of, of everyone standing on the shore and Jack swimming all alone out into the, the blue-green of the ocean with, with no woman that we can see in, in sight. And then we get the title screen. So um, this is a pretty big first scene. Um, Definitely setting up our, our very Jack-centric episode with all the flashbacks and all the information we're going to get about Jack's past. Um, we see um, even from the very first scene that, that Jack is very much the same as an adult that he was as a child in his need to, to reach out and to, to, to work to, to save other people. Um, and that's really um, giving us a big clue about Jack's nature, I think. I think that you're right in terms of, of how it's it's setting up Jack's nature. Um, here we have him in both situations playing the hero and not necessarily successfully. Um, he, in the, when he was a, in, a, in the flashback, he tries to get up to help his friend, and, of course, he's immediately put back down on the ground. Uh, and then here he's, he's going after the woman, and instead he finds Boone. Not that that's not a success. He, he of course, uh, 
needed to save Boone at the time. Uh, obviously, Boone was having more trouble than he would like to lead on later on in the episode. But um, again, this is this is a very character-defining moment for Dak, um, where in times when he has chosen to play the hero and not done well, he, he's had trouble uh, being able to let go of that, something that, that is brought up to him uh, by his father in later episodes and, and warned him not to do in this episode in a flashback later on. You know, I thought it was also funny, Matt, that um, I kept thinking as as Jack was rescuing Boone about that line he said to him in the first episode where he said you should give back that license. <laughs> you should give back your lifeguarding license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it uh, definitely proves that he, he, he's not quite as uh, capable as, as either he thinks he is or, or what he's been or led like to believe that he is. Yeah, or would like to be. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so moving on to scene two. Uh, this one's a big scene, too, because I put a lot of the, the little cuts together. Um, Boone stares out at the ocean, and then he he's looks to Jack, who's now back on the beach. Um, he was unsuccessful at saving the woman. He grabs his bag and starts walking. Uh, Kate comes up to him pretty quickly, and he asks Kate uh, information about the drowned woman. And Kate says that, uh, she wasn't supposed to be on the plane, but was flying back home early due to an ear infection, which had shortened a scuba diving trip. Um, Jack is is starting to kick himself for never speaking to the woman um, that he'd been there. They'd been there for a number of days, and he'd never talked to her. Um, Kate says that he tried, and and he says no, that he didn't. He thought that he had time to get Boone back, uh, and then still get out to her. He, he uh, looks back past Kate uh, to the ocean as he's saying that uh, he, he chose uh, not to go after her at that time. And then he sees a man standing in the ocean in, in a suit. And that is the same man that he saw at the edge of the jungle in the prior episode when he went chasing after that person and then ended up seeing Locke with the boar. So this is uh, a, a obviously some kind of key vision or, 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 or central figure uh, we're figuring out. As he moves past Kate, then he, the man is suddenly not there. Um, he asks Kate if she saw the man, and, and she asks him when the last time is that he slept. Uh, he then kind of dismisses it and starts to make an excuse about returning the gear. We then cut to Walt, uh, who is using that chia plant that Sun had shown him uh, to use to brush his teeth. Uh, he's with Michael, and uh, they're at the ocean edge. Michael asks him where he learned that technique, and Walt tells him he learned it from, from the Korean lady. Um, Walt then uses the cup uh, that he has to wash out his mouth uh, with salt water, and Michael tells him not to drink it. He uh, kind of questions that. Uh, Walt says, or uh, Walt kind of questions that, and Michael tells him that ocean water will make you thirsty, and Walt keeps questioning it, and finally Michael just tells Walt not to drink it. Um, We then cut to Jen and Son, who are watching Walt and Michael, and uh, Jen tells her that she looks like she really needs some water, but she says she's all right. She then asks, when will someone tell them what to do? Um, She doesn't think anyone is coming. Uh, Jen says someone will come. Um, She says that the others ignore them, that they need to try harder to communicate, and Jen says they will be fine. Uh, They don't need anyone else, and he will tell her what to do. She sits down as Shannon walks past her towards Sawyer and asks if he has it. Um, Sawyer is reading Watership Down, uh, and he kind of plays her off. Uh, when she's persistent, he says that uh, he has her bug spray, and when she asks how much, 
he kind of makes a little sexual pass. When she acts disgusted by it, he tells her it'll cost five grand, and he has a feeling that she's good for it. Um, she throws a spray back at him and leaves. Uh, then we cut to Kate, who is sorting clothes, separating the, the practical from the impractical. Um, Claire approaches asking if Kate has found a hairbrush. Uh, when Kate says no, Claire speaks about how in all of the baggage that no one seems to have one. Claire then kind of becomes a little dizzy. Um, when Kate asks if she's okay, she just blames the heat and the fact that she's pregnant. Uh, Kate kind of comments, really. And then uh, she tells Claire what she's doing in terms of sorting the clothes and everything uh, when Claire asks. And Claire offers help, and she accepts it. Uh, Claire um, then asks if Kate is a Gemini, and when Kate confirms it, she lists some of the Gemini traits and offers to do Kate's chart or not when Kate looks up skeptical. Um, they both have a laugh. Um, this scene is highly full of expositional stuff. You know, we're learning a little bit more about our characters and everything. We're seeing more of the tension between Walt and Michael. Um, we uh, see uh, a little bit of uh, more about Claire, her interest in astrology, and, and all of this kind of points towards an episode just uh, a few episodes away where she goes to a psychic when she finds out that she's pregnant um, to to, uh, to kind of see if the baby will be happy or if her and the, the baby's father will work out. Um, and that ends up being the reason that she ends up on the flight and on the island in the first place is because of kind of her interest in astrology and, 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 and the psychic phenomenon. Then the other note that I made is of Watership Down, the book itself. And I think uh, when we do Confidence Man, uh, your husband, who is a literary expert, is going to join us and do uh, uh, kind of a coverage of, of what Watership Down is about and how it might apply to Lost. Is that right? Yeah, he is. He is. He was really sorry he wasn't able to do the show tonight, but he just didn't really have enough time to prepare for it. So he um, he did promise and, uh, and say that he wanted to do the show with us for sure when we do that episode. So I guess that's in just a couple of weeks. Yeah just in a few weeks. All right, so uh, Watership Town is a novel by Richard Abrams, pardon me, Richard Adams, and was published in 1972. It's often seen as a social commentary done using a group of rabbits as the main characters and chronicling their search for a new place to live after they narrowly escape poisoning and evacuation of their warren by men. I won't go any further into it right now. Um, if you, those of you in the chat, uh, a little more explanation is listed on our Google Doc. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, feel free to tune in when we cover Confidence Man, and Lex will give you a much better explanation and detailed uh, information about this book than I possibly can. Uh, that's all I have for that scene, Leslie. Um, I, I thought in this scene, um, we, we, we right off the bat, we get, we get Jack being really hard on himself, um, as he's clearly always been. Um, Again, on a first watch, I was really um, happy to be totally creeped out by the man in the suit again. Um, it was intriguing to me. Um, I loved watching Walt brush his teeth. <laughs> it was just such a happy kid kind of picture that um, we don't always get a lot of those on the show, you know, because there's always something going on. But it was nice to see him at the ocean side kind of taking care of himself. Um, I wondered on a first watch um, in hearing Jen and Son talking about, um, you know, uh, about about Son's concerns that they don't 
they don't really function with the rest of the group and when will someone tell them what to do you know um, we've already gotten a, a very clear picture that Jen is a controlling husband um, and we haven't gotten the backstory on them yet so we don't understand um, at this point that you know Jen has been turned into what he is now and that he, he wasn't like that when they got married but I do remember wondering to what extent Jen was was controlling like if he was even bordering on abusive with her and if we were gonna you know get some kind of really crazy story with the two of them um, so um, I, I thought it was very uh, uh, more support for the the, the issues that are going to come up with water as Jen is noticing that some looks like she's thirsty or she's dehydrated. Um, otherwise, um, it seemed like Claire was really making an effort to reach out to Kate, which, you know, at this point so early in, in um, their stay on the island, it, it would make sense that they're all still, you know, reaching out and becoming, you know, um, closer to one another as, as friends or, or as acquaintances. Um, but it really seemed like she was she was reaching out to Kate, you know, like she she really seemed like she was trying to, you know, trying to fr befriend her, trying to, you know, she's going to make a chart for her or she won't, you know, whatever Kate wants, whatever, you know. So it seems like she's really she's really reaching out. And um, um, again, I, I think there's there's more there's more to that as, as the episode goes on. But I, I won't say anything more about that right now. So uh, moving on to uh, scene three. Um, we see Jack um, organizing some things as Hurley approaches him. Hurley looks worried, and Jack looks pretty tired. Jack still refuses to give himself a break, um, tells Hurley that he's fine. Um, Hurley goes on to say that they have a problem and shows Jack what's left of the water supply, 18 bottles, um, which he says is not enough, or Charlie says, is not enough for 47 people. Jack harshly corrects him, it's only 46 people. Um, after the woman in the ocean that morning, Charlie and Hurley start going back and forth about what they could possibly do and start coming up with questions, which eventually end with asking Jack what they should do. Uh, frustrated, Jack says he doesn't know what they should do. Um, they continue following him as Jack starts to walk away. Uh, they bring him the suitcase of water bottles um, and say, and Charlie's saying, well, we can keep them with Jack until he decides what to do. And Jack turns around really harshly and says, I'm not deciding anything. And Hurley asks why not. Um, Jack doesn't answer and kind of walks away from them a little ways and then stops. We see him thinking and immediately we go to a flashback. Um, so we're hearing ice cubes moving around in a, in a rocks glass. And um, we are, um, we're cutting to a man sitting in a really nice leather chair in a library. Um, with a nearly finished drink. Uh, the man asks, you want to come in? And um, enter young Jack with a bruised face. This is uh, obviously a continuation of the first flashback we got where he was in the fight with the boys. Um, the man in the chair looks at Jack and asks if he wants to tell him what happened. Jack says a couple of kids jumped Mark, jumped Mark Silverman. Um, the man says, but they didn't jump you. And Jack says, no. Um, so we're getting the idea right away by the way they're talking that this man is Jack's father. Um, the man in the chair, his father sighs and starts to tell Jack um, a story that he had a boy on his table today who had a bad heart and, and died during surgery. He goes on to say that the reason everyone looks to him to make a decision is because at the end of the day he can wash his hands of the entire thing and go home and have dinner. Um, he goes on to say that Jack can't try to save everyone 
because when he fails, he won't have what it takes to get through it, um, which is pretty central to this whole episode. Um, and then we flash back to present day. Um, Jack comes to with Boone asking him, um, why didn't you leave me? I could have made it back. Um, so no no rest for Jack. Um, he's continually being grilled at this point. Um, Jack says not now. Boone continues to press him. Um, Jack tells Boone he was drowning. Um, Boone continues on saying that... Um, um, that Jack could have saved her. Jack says he didn't save her, and neither did you, uh, talking to Boone. Uh, Boone goes on to imply that Jack messed up and that Jack is not the only one who knows what to do, kind of challenging his leadership. Um, further, um, a, a big issue, or a big, um, big part of this episode. Um, Boone starts to ask who appointed Jack the leader, what gives him the right. Um, while he's doing this, Jack spots the man in the suit again over Boone's shoulder and starts running uh, towards him, which is away from Boone. Uh, Boone continues yelling. Uh, Jack runs after into the woods after the man um, and finds him standing just several feet ahead of him in a strange position with his back to him. He's kind of slumped forward almost, but he's standing up. Uh, he walks closer, and the shot changes ever so slightly, and the man is now standing a little more upright, still with his back to Jack. Um, Jack slowly starts towards the man, and the man turns around to reveal himself as Jack's father. We recognize him because of the flashback. Uh, Jack is so shocked that he steps backward and falls down, continuing to stare at him. He looks shocked, upset, scared, confused, and he asks, Dad? And we go to a break. So, um... Another big scene, um, clearly Jack is processing a lot um, um, and, and just in this scene, um, much less the, the entire episode so far. Um, he's dealing with his past, um, his nature versus what his father has told him, which would be considered nurture, I think. Um, his nature uh, to lead and make decisions tends to falter, um, or it, when it does falter, it's, it's in these moments that he really needs to be able to count on himself and, and a certain amount of strength, which he doesn't seem to have, um, which is, again, from the flashback, we can see it's most likely an insecurity um, instilled um, in him by his father and, and the things that he said to him. Um, also, Boone is challenging him as a leader. It's kind of like a pack of dogs where, you know, the leader looks weak for a second and, and, and you know, um, one of the more subdominant kind of... Uh, of the pack will kind of step forward and 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 try to try to push him and and, and see what happens. Um, you know, maybe Boone believes he should be the leader. Um, he kind of keeps putting himself in the forefront and trying to help out. Um, but clearly, it's really funny because clearly he can't even keep Jack's attention, which um, completely infuriates him as, as Jack runs away from him when he sees the man in the suit. So again, these are these are roles being challenged, which I talked a lot about in the last episode about how important everyone's roles were um, and how they were linked with everyone's physical uh, survival capacity. And now we're seeing um, these roles that are kind of challenged with kind of an emotional angle as we um, more closely examine Jack and his nature versus nurture situation. Yeah, great. Uh, and, and something else I noted about, uh, particularly the wording in, in, in these scenes, uh, especially uh, where Jack's father, Christian, tells him in the flashback, don't decide. Uh, and and he, he just prior to that tells, tells Hurley and Charlie that he's not going to decide anything. 
And one of the things, uh, one of the key things that we can pull back from season five and from from uh, the whole conversation between Jacob and the man in black is whether it is a matter of choice versus uh, of fate, and 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 the implications of that. And here we see Jack seemingly having negative, uh, not only thoughts but negative. Uh, I guess you would say negative results when he does decide to do something. Something tends, bad tends to happen when he decides. And it's not so much whether he can handle or whether it, the bad thing happens or not. It's a question of how he handles it uh, when it does. Um, this flashback emphasizes his failure to save the woman uh, it, that drowned because he had decided to save Boone instead, and there was a consequence. Um, and now he's not going to decide anything about the water uh, for fear of the ramifications, I think. Um, this scene also uh, has in it, and, and when you, you see that it's from the flashback that it is his father, uh, of course that's a shocking revelation, and, and what would he possibly be doing on the island? Now we've come to find out that, that Christian is being manifested by some force on the island, which most people think is smoky. Um, I have my own theory about what the smoke monster is and, and how it is controlled, and we'll talk more about that in the theory section this week, um, about where precisely the origin of this manifestation of Christian is coming from. And it's debatable, uh, uh, as are many things in Lost, but uh, it'll be a, hopefully an interesting conversation that we'll have a little later on in the theory section. And also, finally, uh, this scene contains a musical motif that's part of my Giacchino moment for the week, which is uh, where I for the music in Lost. It would have been so easy in this episode to do the life and death theme. However, I had already done an examination of the life and death theme and when it is used and not used uh, when we covered uh, the variable, I believe, either that or, or maybe it was uh, follow the leader in season five. And so uh, I, instead I chose this piece, which is actually, it's just a four-note motive that is played uh, only, the only time I've ever heard it has been in this episode and only when Jack was chasing Christian. So, but it's a, it's, a, it's a neat little motive and it'll be fun to explore. So anything else for that scene, Liz? No, no, that's it. That's great. All right. Well, then let's move on to the next scene. And this is Jack. Uh, we're coming back from commercial break. Jack is in the jungle. Um, he's still stunned by seeing Christian, and we cut right to another flashback where Jack is with his mother, uh, uh, and he was telling Jack that uh, uh, Christian is gone. Um, Jack says, "Well, he'll be back." She says, "This time is different," and she wants to bring she wants Jack to bring Christian back. Um, Jack argues that that Christian hasn't spoken to him in two months, and his mother argues back that he hasn't spoken to Christian either. Jack says, leave it to uh, Christian's friends, and his mother says he doesn't have any friends anymore, and why does Jack think that is? Um, that Christian was right, and Jack doesn't understand the pressure, and Jack says that he does understand pressure. She says uh, he knows how Christian is, and that he won't take care of himself. Um, Jack continues to say he can't go, um, and his mother says that Jack doesn't get to say he can't, not after what he did and she basically orders Jack to bring his father home. Um, Jack asks where, where Christian is, and his mother says, Australia. We then cut back to the jungle, uh, to Jack, who then gets up and, in order to pursue Christian again. Um, 
Now, the the conversation between Jack and his mother in the flashback, this alludes to events that happen in a later episode this season. All the best cowboys have daddy issues. Um, that is where Jack uh, just uh, had turned in Christian for operating on someone under the um, influence of alcohol. Uh, and that, of course, led to Christian being uh, uh, losing his, his doctor's license and, uh, I would imagine, being fired from the hospital as well, uh, which uh, kind of set Christian off on his journey to Australia for a reason of finding his daughter, who happens to be Claire, um, which is, uh, who is also on the island. So Jack and Claire are half-brother and sister. We find that out in Par Avian. Um, the fact that Jack had gone to uh, Australia to find Christian reveals also why Jack was on flight 815. And that's all I have. Um, the only thing I would add to that is that, you know, you really do get the impression that his parents are kind of selfish, you know, or at least his, his mother's being really harsh on him at this point, you know, and, and since we know now, you know, it, it you know from season five eyes that this is, um, you know, that it wasn't, um, uh, that, that it wasn't an easy decision for Jack to make to turn in his father, um, but he, you know, he felt that patients were at risk uh, being under under his care as a surgeon, and um, you know, and his parents or his mother is blaming him for his father having left and and being a mess and not taking care of himself and you know that he doesn't have any friends anymore because of what Jack has done. So again, this is another another example of Jack making a decision trying to do what's best and you know the ramifications of that decision coming back to kind of bite him in the ass later, you know. So he's um he's having a, a hard time kind of kind of um, processing that and he doesn't know how to stand up for his decisions either um, and clearly his mother knows that and is kind of manipulating him into doing what she would like for him to do so um, I think it's that's an important part of Jack's history to understand and again um, I guess that uh, the only thing I would add to, to that is, is now the, you know what, what you had said that we know why Jack was on the flight um, uh, but we're still wondering, you know, at this point, if he's actually seeing Christian on the island, or if uh, if Christian is is just his white rabbit. So uh, moving on to scene five, um, we see Walt running uh, to Kate, saying that the pregnant lady fell down. Um, she runs to the side of Charlie and Michael, who are carrying uh, a passed out Claire. Uh, Kate asks what happened. Charlie doesn't know. Um, Kate thinks it must have been the heat. She says they should bring Claire into the tent where they lay her down and Kate starts repeating her name and trying to, to bring her to, asking her to wake up. Uh, Claire finally opens her eyes and Kate says she needs water. So again, here's another water reference. Charlie goes for the water to find it missing, um, which is definitely a panic state at this point um, in Claire's condition. Um, he states to everyone that the water's gone, that someone has stolen it. Uh, we then cut to Kate and Saeed, who are talking to John, asking, um, John is asking them where the doctor is. Uh, Kate says she doesn't know. Saeed asks if the missing water was the last of their supply, and Kate confirms that it was. Um, Kate offers to go into the jungle, of course, and Saeed says not alone. John says it's going to get ugly when everyone finds out that there's no more water and that it was pinched. 
John says that they should stay, uh, that they're needed on the shore, and that he'll go looking for water, and that besides, he knows where to look. So um, a couple things I had on this one. Um, we're seeing how how the how everyone I was going to say the others, but how those on the on the on the shore on the beach are functioning without a leader, um, and how sub leaders kind of come forward in these moments. It seems you know um, um, John has not tried to be a leader necessarily, but he's stepping forward and kind of giving some advice, and um, Kate and Saeed are kind of picking up the slack and in you know agreeing and, and doing it his way and, and carrying out his wishes. So. Um, that's that's uh, an interesting thing to note too, um, and again we have the question: Why does Locke know where to look? You know, is this training? Is this the island talking to him? Um, we're not sure. Um, and um, I would add uh, only um, what I was thinking earlier about Claire having reached out to Kate right before this. Um, I wonder if she maybe had some sense that. She was going to, you know, need some help, that she was maybe feeling like something wasn't quite right, or if it was just foreshadowing on the writer's part. Um, and finally, uh, actually, there was one more thing I, that this scene brought to, to mind as a question, and that was um, when it comes to survival, um, you know, we hear Locke talking about everyone's going to get upset if they know. Um, I think it's a good question overall, and maybe one that should be up for discussion at some point in one of our podcasts. You know, is it, you know, when, when it comes to governing people, is, is keeping people in the dark better for their own good? I know as a society now, we kind of try to favor transparency, but, you know, are leaders right to do that sometimes? It's a really, it's a really good question to pose to, to um, an audience like us. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting point. And again, let's look at what the sources of that information at this time right now. We have Locke that's saying that's suggesting that things be kept kind of under cloak. Um, whereas, uh, and of course, that this, that kind of decision has been made throughout this whole series, even up to this point. Saeed and, and Kate and the gang chose not to say anything about the French transmission to anybody. Of course, Kate went to Jack and told him. But um, there, there's been many issues where things are hiding, uh, where people are hiding things from each other, and, and secrets and revelations are, are a key part of this whole whole series. And I'm uh, not sure if they, if the writers looked at it from a from a leadership technique standpoint or not, but it certainly does it does present itself in that way in, in many times throughout throughout the series so far. Um, the only thing I really had for the scene, because your notes are so great there, is that, you know, we have the immediacy of, of finding water, and, and um, now it's absolutely critical because someone really, really needs it. And, and um, you know, all of the scenes up to now, have, uh, outside of the exclusive Jack and, and Christian scenes, have been about the immediacy of water and the importance of water, how water took the life away from, from Joanna, uh, the woman who drowned, and yet is so vital to all of all of the losties, uh, Jen commenting that Sun needed water and all of that in the prior scene that I reviewed. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very important aspect, and uh, as we'll find out later on, uh, just how important it is. In terms of you talking about how does Locke know where to look, Islander is training, the question is, is what exactly, some people have interpreted 
what Locke is saying, he knows where to look as to where to find Jack as opposed to where to find water, um, which is kind of an interesting way to look at it, too. I personally think that he's talking about water, and I think that because of his walkabout training, he would know how to get water off of the plants, as we see him doing in a later scene in, in this episode. Um, but um, it is, we'll find out in another scene later on how, how coincidental uh, that statement actually is. Then we move on to Jack, who is still chasing Christian, but uh, seems to have lost him. He asks, where are you? Uh, as the camera kind of pans around him, he asks it several times. And we cut to a flashback where Jack is in a hotel room in Sydney. Um, he's told that the whole hotel room hasn't been used for the last three days. Jack asks if his father rented a car, and the manager who's with him says no, and he quite honestly doesn't think anyone rented Christian a car anyway. He relates that Christian had to be escorted out of a bar, a hotel bar a few nights before and that no one would rent Christian a car in his current condition uh, at that time at any rate. And Jack reprimands the manager saying that his father is a chief of surgery. Um, the manager apologizes. Um, Jack then notices that his dad left his wallet uh, and then asks, where are you? After the manager suggests checking with the police. We cut back to the present, and Jack finds Christian again, and he uh, goes in a full run towards him and trips and starts rolling down a large hill and then uh, eventually over the edge of a cliff where he's hanging on to a, uh, some kind of tree root uh, for dear life. This scene is, is, is huge in my mind because it starts us to wonder. And there's several ways to look at, at, at the thing about Christian um, not so much in the hotel room scene that that's more expositional. Um, and um, we will find out in a later episode, I think it's called Outlaws, uh, that what some of the things Christian was doing while he was uh, had abandoned his room. Uh, and that includes a conversation with Sawyer. The big question that I have out of this, and something that was brought up in the Lostaholics rewatch uh, a couple of Sundays ago when we reviewed this episode is, what is Christian doing? What is, is Christian leading Jack to water? Is Christian leading Jack to his coffin? Is Christian leading Jack to Jack's own death in this very case right here where Jack, in, in, in his futile effort to try and catch Christian, uh, ends up tripping and nearly falling and dying? You know, there are many possible motives for why the apparition of Christian is appearing to Jack right now. And, and that uh, is, is part of the bigger mystery that, that we, we now see um, through season five eyes with the man in black trying to do, uh, uh, orchestrate this whole master plan in order to unseat Jacob, uh, more or less, by killing him. Uh, this is a, a huge uh, amount of, of, uh, of questions that we have to start asking about this very episode. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the biggest part of the scene was what role did Christian actually play in, in Jack's ending up hanging off a cliff? Um, you know, it, 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 since we since we you know we do know now about about Jacob and, and Auntie Jacob, whoever he is, um, you know that they're they've both been you know here since you know way before any of of the Losties showed up, and you know and that there's been this plan going on the whole time. You know, we, 
it's, it's likely that one of them was playing a role somewhere, you know, and we wonder how that's related to Christian, you know. Um, I was wondering, you know, if anything, if Christian wasn't leading Jack to his death, what was it that he was um, pushing him to learn about himself? Because it seems like every, you know, quote-unquote kind of hallucination or, or even smoky-inspired vision that people have in the jungle is there to teach them something or to help them to, to work through a past issue. So I'm just wondering, um, the, only, the, the, the only thought that came to mind and wondering what he could possibly gain um, hanging off the edge of a cliff was that, um, you know, maybe maybe the message was that he could kill himself carrying out others' wishes or, or carrying guilt, um, you know, which, which he's clearly kind of running after his father to, to try to put an end to, I think. Um, there, I mean, again, that could be interpreted any any number of ways, and that's just one of of probably many ideas that are out there um, about how or why uh, that happened. Um, I the only other thing I would add is that the way, the way Jack's running through the forest, he um, and and he's starting to lose sight of his father before he uh, he falls off um, or, or um, falls goes down the hill to the edge of the cliff. Is you know he's kind of losing sight of his father in the jungle. The in the I I got the same feeling as he was out in the water, kind of losing sight of the woman who was drifting further and further away, just as his father's kind of drifting further and further away. And and I wonder if this isn't more illustration of you know once he kind of moves into action, you know he sometimes loses sight of what. He was trying to accomplish to begin with, you know, um, maybe due to the reaction, of, you know, because he's kind of a reactor or, or you know, or maybe just, again, um, because of these issues that his father's instilled in him that, that make him believe that he doesn't have what it takes to, to make the right decision or, or to be able to deal with the consequences of making a decision at all. Uh, moving on to scene seven or our scene seven. Um, um, Jack, is, we're back from the break, and Jack's still hanging off the cliff. Uh, he's trying to hold on, and he's starting to lose his grip. Um, just as he's beginning to slip, we see a hand extending itself to him from the cliff top. Um, I remember on a first watch, it was really an eerie feeling, wondering if that was Christian helping him up or not. Um, we find out that it's John um, telling Jack to take his hand. Uh, John seems very calm. Um, John finally gets Jack to take his hand and slowly they pull each other back to the top of the cliff where they roll over one another and end up laying on the ground uh, exhausted, breathing heavily. Um, Jack starts laughing. Uh, we don't know why. John does not laugh. Um, Jack's laugh does sound a little bit crazy at this point. Um, we then cut to Charlie, who's uh, bringing Claire water. Um, he says she's been out for a couple of hours. Charlie lets it out that the water's been taken. Claire asks if Jack is back, and Charlie says no, that no one has seen him. Um, he then realizes that these are all negative things and tries to be more positive, saying that Locke went to get water. And um, Claire replies, uh, great, the only hunter will get eaten in the jungle to get the pregnant girl some water. Um, Charlie jokes around with her to lighten the mood about Locke's 400 knives and how he only had room for 200 tops. He, Claire laughs um, and uh, gets more serious and asks, when are they going to rescue us? Charlie responds, um, with his living is easy with eyes closed tattoo showing clearly really, really kind of central to the camera shot even, I would say, um, which is... Uh, line from Strawberry Fields by the Beatles. And he says, soon. 
Um, Claire says uh, to Charlie, thank you for looking into her eyes, that her experience so far on the island is that people are afraid of her because she's pregnant um, and that she's kind of a ticking time bomb of responsibility. Charlie says uh, she doesn't scare him. Uh, we then cut to Hugo, who is telling Kate and Saeed that the Chinese people, who are, of course, Korean, um, have water. And uh, this is, of course, uh, shocking since they've been looking for the water and wondering who's, who, um, who had stolen it. Uh, Saeed starts to ask Sun where she got the water, um, if she stole the water. Kate says that uh, Sun doesn't understand. Saeed says that she does understand. Uh, Jen then comes out yelling, and Kate says that they just want to talk and asks him who gave them the water. Jen then points to Sawyer. Kate starts to move towards him. Saeed stops her and says, we don't see any water, and if we wait, Sawyer will lead us to where it is, saying that a rat will always lead you to its hole. Um, so again, um, just kind of a, a further continuation of our, our Jack discussion from the last Last uh, scene, you know, I'm wondering, did Jacob or Auntie Jacob send John, you know, or uh, it just seems very coincidental that he would just happen to end up um, being there at exactly the right time. Um, and I also had another um, question um, that came to mind, and, and maybe it's a little bit crackpot and we can talk about it further in the theory section, but I wondered if there was any correlation between Claire passing out and the appearance of Christian. Since we do see them together in, in later seasons um, in the cabin, we know that Claire is, uh, in season five eyes, we know that Claire is Christian's daughter, who is also Jack's sister, of course. Um, so um, I, I, have, I have questions about that um, on, on this rewatch. And, um, and also, I might add that um, this uh, living is easy with eyes closed is, um, is said from, from Strawberry Fields by the Beatles, and um, I just kind of took a second to look up. I, I remembered that Beatles were kind of an Egyptian for a lot of different things, and so um, I looked it up, and the Egyptian symbolism for Beatles is, um, is uh, Beetle is representative of the strength of the body, the resurrection of the soul, and an eternal creator. In fact, um, it, um, it went on to say that, that sometimes people who were studying in ancient Egypt to become the more enlightened ones, um, so to speak, were um, historically called scarabs. So um, scarabs were kind of thought to be the, the emissaries of the sun um, and were supposed, to be, uh, were supposed to symbolize light and truth and regenerations. So it's kind of cool because, um, you know, it seems like our losties are perhaps scarabs in their own right, kind of seeking these things out. Um, I also thought it was funny that Saeed uh, said that a rat will lead you to its hole, since uh, Sawyer is reading a book about rabbits who live in holes. Anyway, so there's a lot of a lot of animal and and and, and cross references to books, and um, I, I like this scene a lot. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, uh, the uh, the whole rat thing. Rats are alluded to a lot in Lost for some reason or another. Uh, you remember Daniel's uh, rat Eloise, which was named after his mother. Um, <laughs> in, in the constant. Um, let's see. Uh, and Charles Widmore referring to Jack and Kate uh, as crouching in the bushes like rats in a, in the grass or something like that uh, in season mm -hmm. five. And uh, 
So rats, rats are a huge part. I really, I hadn't thought about the whole Charlie's tattoo thing. That's an awesome observation, and I'm glad you looked into that. That's some great information. That's kind of Nancy Drew-like, actually. Um, <laughs> she's always coming up with that kind of stuff in, in, in the Black Rock podcast and in, in the uh, Lost Holics rewatch. So uh, thanks for that information, and it does make it does make you think see things kind of in a in a whole different light about that scene, especially since you mentioned that that you could predominantly see it. And I tend to not notice those kinds of things uh, for some reason or another, but uh, I'm glad that there are people who do because that again opens my mind up to other possibilities as well. Um, one of the things that I found great about this scene uh, is the fact that. Saeed kind of foreshadows the fact that Sun does understand them. Uh, when Kate says she doesn't understand you, he says she does understand. And um, I'm wondering if he knows, um, just because we find out later on that, that, that Saeed was an interrogator for a living. And um, I wonder if, if he can already tell, just by based on her body language and all, when he asks her a question, that he can tell that she understands and and, and that uh, uh, she's just playing it off. Um, I would think that I would think an interrogator would probably be able to pick up on those kind of things if he'd done it for any great period of time. Uh, I thought that Charlie's uh, lock references were very funny too, and uh, as well as as was the the fact that again we're seeing just how how new we are to all the characters are to each other in the island as as Hugo refers to Jen and Son as Chinese. Um, that's uh, that's that's really that's really kind of funny. Um, that's pretty much all I have for that scene, since you covered a, a really cool part of it that I hadn't thought of. Uh, the other thing is is uh, before I move on to the next scene is is the fact that that uh, when Jack pulls is pulled up by by Locke and and Locke asks if he's okay and he just laughs. I, I'm, Jack's laugh is kind of almost crazy, and you have to, you, you know, we'll find out in a later scene that he really thinks that possibly he is going crazy. Who wouldn't think if you if your father had died, and suddenly you find yourself chasing him across an island, wouldn't you think you were going crazy too? And and I think he's 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 just trying his best to release what kind of emotion that he has in himself at the time. I mean, he's just nearly died as well. So that's that's a, a kind of a, a, a creepy and a, and a very, in, in its own way, kind of touching kind of moment um, because you really feel for, for Jack as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, we've got then, this is a short one. Uh, Sawyer is uh, walking through the jungle uh, to his stash where he's grabbing a pack of smokes. Uh, Kate jumps out and tackles him. Um, he makes uh, uh, another kind of sexual reference to her, uh, saying, well, they've been waiting for this or something, and she asks where the water is. Um, he quickly flips her over, um, and then uh, as she tells him to get off of him, uh, she, uh, Saeed kind of pulls Sawyer off uh, and demands that uh, they get the water. Um, Kate looks through the stash and confirms that the water isn't there, um, Sawyer tells him he traded his last two bottles of water with Jen for a fish. Uh, when Kate asks why he would trade the last of his water, Sawyer notes that it will rain sooner or later. Water has no value. And uh, as Kate and Saeed walk off, Sawyer tosses uh, Kate that Marshall badge out of his stash. 
saying that as long as she's the new sheriff in town, she might as well make it official. Um, this is this is typical Sawyer, and this is thinking Sawyer. Uh, again, uh, this is this is the guy that 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 is reading the book and schooling Jack on how to lead uh, in season five. Uh, because why hoard water if everyone can get it? Exactly is a, is a good thought. You know, it won't do him any good. What is he? You know, and he traded he traded something that he'll get more of the next time it rains for a fish, which is something that he might have a lot more difficulty getting on his own. So um, this, again, is, is, is the thinking Sawyer. And that's really all I had for that scene. Yeah, this is, this is definitely showing us uh, uh, Sawyer's wit. You know, he's very witty, even though up to this point, you know, we just kind of see him as a guy who's been kind of sarcastic and kind of seems like a, you know, a, a hoarding survivalist type, you know, not that he knows how to fish, but he knows how to, you know, stash a bunch of people's stuff and, like, you know, sell it out as something valuable. Um, I do remember thinking it was pretty smart to, to notice that as everybody else is freaking out about water to be like, you know, water has no value when everyone else thinks it's, you know, it's, it's at the top of their list at this point. Um, um, and, and another thing is that, you know, um, that, that, that kind of displays Sawyer's wit is that he knows how to make Kate feel bad about her actions, about attacking him like that, um, or at least to point them out to her by, by, um, by throwing that badge at her as she's walking away, which is clearly a reference to her own past of, you know, being kind of an outlaw herself. So, um, so yeah, this is, this is, this is an episode of, or this is a, a scene of, of Sawyer's wit for sure. Uh, moving on to scene nine, um, Jack and Locke are in the jungle um, as Locke is collecting uh, a small amount of water. Um, Jack asks how everyone is, and Locke responds that they're thirsty, hungry, and waiting to be rescued, um, and that they're looking for someone to tell them what to do. Um, Locke is referring to Jack, of course, who in response says he can't. Locke asks why not. Jack says he's not a leader which, again, is more of the nurture theory that I have this week. Um, Locke responds, um, yet they all treat you like one, uh, pointing out that Jack's nature. Um, Jack says he doesn't know how to help them. He doesn't have what it takes, more of his father's words, of course. Um, then Locke asks him why he's out in the jungle. Uh, Jack says that he thinks he's going crazy. Locke tells him he isn't. Uh, crazy people think they're getting saner. Um, Locke asks again what he's doing out, out there, and Jack finally confides that he's chasing something and that he's looking for someone. Um, and this looks very difficult for Jack to say, so we, we get, we're getting a feeling that Jack is sharing something very, um, you know, very personal with, with John. Um, the white rabbit, John says after that. Um, and Jack says what he's chasing isn't there. Locke asks, but you see him, and Jack answers he does. Uh, Locke asks if he came to Jack uh, as a patient saying this, what would be the diagnosis? And Jack says it would be a hallucination. Locke plays a doctor and tells Jack, well, then you're just hallucinating. Um, he gives it a second and then says, but what if you're not? And Jack answers, then we're all in a lot of trouble, um, kind of stating his his general turmoil about, about having to go through the situation. Um, Locke smiles and then says to Jack, that he's an ordinary man, he's not a believer in magic, but that this place is different and special, referring to the island, of course. Um, he says no one wants to talk about it because it scares them, but everyone knows it and feels it. Um, that maybe Jack is hallucinating, but what if everything that happened here happened for a reason? 
Um, and the, maybe the man he's chasing really is here. Um, Jack asks what happens when he catches him. Locke says he doesn't know, but he has looked into the eye of the island and what he saw was beautiful. Uh, he begins to rise and says that he's going to look for water. Jack offers to come with him, and Locke says no, he needs to stay and finish what he started because a leader can't lead until he knows where he's going. And then we go to a break. So um, I love this scene. Um, this is the high point of the episode for me, um, where we're acknowledging Jack's struggles between his nature and uh, and nurture, or what he's been taught, um, between the real world and where he is now. Um, it was. It's really a nice. It's nice to see Jack and Locke talking together because we really get a feel for some of the differences between them, um, how well they kind of complement each other, uh, and and. Um, the need that Jack maybe has to to try to accept new conclusions that are being presented to him um, in, in the present in these situations. Um, he is a leader. He is supposed to lead. Um, but, you know, he clearly has some past hang-ups from his parents um, that he's chasing down in an attempt to clear them up. Um, we still don't know, um, even from season five eyes, um, at, at least as far as, as, as I'm concerned, if Christian is truly walking around the island or not, or if this is Jacob or Auntie Jacob inspired or, or what the, the scene is, but um, this is a white rabbit that Jack um, chases the entire series of this show. Um, I, I, I loved Locke in, in, this, in this scene as well. He's quiet. He's that, that wise demeanor that we love about him. And he's, he's so patient and willing to help Jack figure out what it is that he's, he's seeking. Um, so he's either, you know, just kind of doling out his wisdom, which he really didn't seem to have back in his old life uh, from what we've seen so far, or he's informed enough by the island, which maybe is more likely at this point, to know, you know, what Jack needs to hear. And also to know, you know, I noticed that it, it isn't his time to lead. I mean, he could have stepped up right then if he was being inspired, for example, by Jacob or Auntie Jacob. He could have stepped in right there, you know, and, and tried to... To, to move forward on Jack and say, no, you're right, you shouldn't lead, I should lead, you know, and Jack probably would have let him. Um, but but he didn't, you know, he had the wisdom enough to understand that it wasn't that time um, and that the island show itself to Jack on its own and um, and for Jack to figure out his own baggage. So, I, again, I, I, I loved this scene. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, um, I'm going to have to take almost a totally opposite slant. Of, of, okay. Uh, of you uh, on 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 lock uh, in this okay. scene. It is a beautiful scene. Don't get me wrong. I totally agree about that. But knowing what we know now through season five eyes, seeing the way Robert acted and the way that that uh, when when Danielle's team was in, was pulled went down into the under the temple with us after Montan was pulled down by the smoke monster. I'm seeing more and more evidence that it's not just information. Lock or from the island to John Locke, but John Locke has in fact infected with the illness. Um, I really believe that 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 the that he has been infected uh, by, and and I think this happens through contact with the smoke monster. And I'm not so sure that this isn't some kind of larger game manipulation um, by the dark forces of the island. Uh, acting through Locke in order to to get Jack 
where he's supposed to go. Just as, as possibly the manifestation of Christian was to eliminate Jack, um, which could have been for the good or the bad of the island. We're not sure. Um, on the other hand, I'm really starting to see that, that Locke is starting to give us little little signs. And, and this may, again, be misreading into it. Again, this is early on. But uh, the, the producers keep telling us that when we see the end, that we'll know that, that, that they had a, an overall plan in mind at the beginning. One key phrase here is Locke says that a crazy person doesn't know he's crazy. He thinks he's going, he thinks he's getting sane. Who seems more sure about things on this island at this time than John Locke? And mm-hmm. through the flashback that we saw in the prior episode, Walkabout, where Locke was just so played and, 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 and seemingly such a victim, how does he suddenly think that he knows everything there is to know and be able to offer that kind of advice unless he thinks he's getting sane? I'm wondering if this isn't some kind of self-description uh, um, or a cue from the writers to tell us that, 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 uh, that when we were to look back on it from, from a later perspective, that, that Locke is the one who's going crazy because he thinks he's getting sane. Well, that's pretty good, Matt. Um, and, and then uh, about finding the role of being a leader, um, Jack, in the, at the beginning, he's still entrenched in what it's, his father told him, you know. Uh, and, and, and this conversation, this conversation with Locke kind of gears him towards the role of being, becoming the leader. He says a leader can't leave until he knows where he's going, and he leaves him behind in order to, to find that. And, and Jack willingly stays behind and, and finds that rather than, than deciding to, to go help Locke or, or to ignore Locke or whatever. And let's look at some of the implications that Jack becoming the, the entrenched leader of this group has had on all of them, the number of deaths, the, the, the division. Um, these are the kinds of things that are inspired or, 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 or stated by the man in black at the beginning. They come, they destroy, they corrupt. Um, the, these, these kind of things are, are, are the very root of the epitome of, of humankind that Mr. Man in Black seems to be so against and why he doesn't want them on the island, even though Jacob is trying to prove him wrong. And um, I'm wondering if this isn't just another pawn being pushed forward in, in the overall game by pushing Jack into that leadership role. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's it, knowing knowing about how how Jacob and Auntie Jacob work at this point. It's it's so. I mean, you could you could we could talk on and on for so long about the the possible posturing of Jacob or Auntie Jacob in 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 you know in pushing people forward to make decisions. You know, it's such a long line of events. Like it's not something. I feel. I mean, like personally, I can't even keep track of that in my head. Like. You know, the event that led to, you know, all the things that happened after Jack became kind of, Jack assumed his role as the leader. Oh, my gosh. Well, five seasons, four seasons of of, 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 um, of happenings happened, you know, after that. So it's like, you know, you, you can say that, and it, and it is true. Like, you know, we, we don't know what um, what role Jacob or Auntie Jacob are playing, but I think you're definitely right that, you know, it would be really brilliant if the writers had set it up to where Locke was giving a self-description at this point because, I mean, certainly, I mean, I think this now, and I certainly thought it then, like, wow, 
Locke is so wise and he's so, you know, he's so patient and he's, you know, he seems so much more enlightened than everyone else, you know, but, but you're right. And, and I mentioned earlier, it doesn't line up with how he's been in his own recent past. So. Exactly. And, and the other thing, uh, the other key line in, in, in this scene, uh, as far as Locke goes, is he said, uh, he looked into the eye of the mile or into the eye of the island. Now, He's referring, he has to be referring to his encounter with the monster. He says what he saw was beautiful. And that glorifies that monster the same way that Robert defended it with Danielle in This Place is Death in Season 5. He said, it is not a monster, it is a security system for the temple. You know, he, he, he was explaining that, that, that the monster is a good thing to Danielle before she shot him. And, and obviously he was infected with the illness, or what I, I call the illness. I know some people have equated the illness as being the departure or arriving from the island on the on a um, on a on the wrong bearing, which I thought too from season four, but I, my opinion changed after seeing season five and this episode, this place is death, and seeing the way Robert was after they'd all gone down in the hole, and and Danielle had specifically said in prior episodes throughout the series that that her group had become infected with the illness. And so now this is what I'm thinking the illness is, is, is the monster. And, and these very same symptoms are manifesting themselves in Locke after his encounter with the monster. And you'll see it more and more as we go through these, these next episodes. And, and uh, Kurt Yanko from Black Rock and I were both kind of on the side, well, we're not real sure and everything. But as the evidence has mounted up and mounted up and mounted up, uh, as we've been going through these rewatches on Lostaholics uh, rewatch, which is on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, for you folks, there's a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> the, we, we, we've seen, uh, and, and time, is ro- uh, time is relative, uh, Robin from Lostaholics, she also participates in the, pa- in the panel, and she has outlined from the very beginning all of these things that Locke's doing and the way that they add up. And, and I really am starting to have no choice but to kind of come to her same conclusions about things. And it's making me look at all of these earlier episodes in, in a whole different light now. Um, and, and it's really interesting. I still haven't wrapped my head totally around it, and I'm not willing to commit one way or the other about Locke's total state at the moment. But I am saying that whether it's his choice or not, he has been infected uh, by the smoke monster at, at this point. I can say fo- forward from this point and from doing the rewatches of, of episodes just in the near future that you will see more and more and more of Locke being uh, um, not the person that you think that he is. Wow. All right, so moving on to scene 10. Uh, it's nighttime. Uh, Jack's sitting at a campfire. Uh, we go to a flashback. Um, Jack is walking down a corridor with an official that tells him the man was found in an alley and the talk screen shows a very high alcohol content. Then he died of a massive coronary induced by that alcohol. He leads Jack to a morgue room uh, with a body and unzips the body bag. Jack confirms that it is his father and starts to cry. Uh, We cut back to Jack at the campfire who's crying uh, when he hears Christian in the woods again. Um, He follows Christian uh, through through the woods, but this time he finds a source of fresh water. Um, there's much de- debris scattered about, uh, remnants of the plane crash 815, dolls, 
are featured prominently. Uh, one has fallen in the water, and Jack pulls it out and looks at it, um, which leads him to a crate uh, full of dolls that had obviously fallen out of the plane from the cargo hold. And that brings him uh, to the coffin. Uh, as he approaches the coffin, we cut to another flashback where Jack is arguing with the ticket agent, Chrissy. Um, she is telling him that without proper proper documentation, the body cannot be transported on this on on his flight. Um, he basically argues that he has to get the body back to L.A. Um, we also notice that Jen is in line during this argument as well. Um, he pleads uh, with the agent to get this done. Um, he says... Uh, it's due for burial, and that he needs it to be done. Um, we then cut back to the caves where Jack looks at the coffin and then opens it. And the coffin is empty. There is no body. He takes a piece of the debris and starts smashing the coffin angrily over and over and over, and we fade to outside the caves and go to break as he's still smashing the coffin. Um, this scene... Uh, I just I have to give credit to Matthew Fox for his incredible acting ability. This this scene made me totally feel for Jack. It made me, it's it's the scene probably that has made me root for Jack, despite some things that I he's done that that we can see have been mistakes. Um, no no matter what, it's made me root for this character for for Jack Shepard uh, ever since. Uh, just the same way that I've rooted for Locke, even though I'm seeing him in a different light now, I still root for the, the victim Locke. Um, this is the scene that made me start to root for Jack as a character. Um, the big question, of course, is Christian's body. It is not there. Um, so does this mean there, there, there's, there's all, kinds of, all kinds of explanations. It could mean that the body was never placed in the coffin because it didn't have the proper documentation, and so they just sent the coffin. Is that possible? Yes. Uh, is it possible that Christian is uh, uh, somehow reanimated and walking around? Is that possible? Yes. Um, we just don't know, and, 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 and we still, as you brought up earlier, we still don't know uh, exactly what Christian is. And, and uh, we can we can see uh, we've seen certain aspects where his his participant or participation with the with the losties has been as a help and sometimes as uh, a detriment. And so uh, again, that leads me to something uh, that I'll cover in the theory section about uh, about Christian and, and his manifestation and and the roles of his actions. Um, Jack. Uh, is finding the water in this scene, and he finds his role as a leader. Um, he kind of dispels uh, the haunting of what his father had told him before about don't decide uh, because you can't handle what it takes. Even though that sticks with him throughout the whole series, uh, he's now made the choice, and I think that's a key phrase. He's made the choice now to lead. And um, and I think the the whole smashing of the coffin is... Is is a, a metaphoric way for him to to take that leadership role and dispel, uh, or to try to dispel in his own mind, um, this haunting from his father about about what he can and and can't do. Um, the other note, of course, is is that this is the first time this scene is the first time that we ever hear one of the most famous themes in Lost, and that's the life and death theme. Uh, it's just kind of played lightly with synthesizers. It's not fully realized until later on in the, in the episode. 
but uh, it's a beautiful, wonderful theme that Jake Eno wrote there. Nice. Um, I kind of disagree about him hitting the coffin there at the end. I He seems so angry, and, and I feel like watching him beating that coffin into pieces, it seemed to me kind of out of frustration, like he wanted to put all the pain that he had, um, that he carried around, you know, guilt that he carried around about, you know, even being the possible cause of his father's death. He wanted to put all of that to rest. And since the body isn't there, you know, it's like, you know, not having a funeral or not having any closure, he can't. He can't put it to rest now because the body isn't there, you know. Like, he can't look at the body and say, okay, it was a hallucination. He just is left with more questions and nothing really gets answered. And so out of, he, he, I mean, my, my interpretation of that is it's just out of, like, sheer frustration, um, I agree with you though that he's um this is the when he sees the water, this is the the point where he does decide to to be a leader and, and go against what his father um may his father and mother kind of instilled in him. Um but I also thought it was cool because um he's um he's following Christian when he finds the water, so it's almost like, you know, as he's following Christian um, like Christian is maybe leading him to the water, you know, as if to say, you know, let me help you become a leader where I've I've failed to you um, in that w- in that way before, um, which would be a really beautiful kind of kind of moment, I think. Um, even even if Jack doesn't really realize what's going on, um, we definitely at least get a, a relief um, in Jack's eyes for a moment when he sees the water. You know, there's something positive there, even if the scene ends with him beating up the coffin for, for one reason or another. So this is a really a, another emotional scene, um, and, and I agree, really, you really do root for Jack when you start to really understand how much pain he's carrying around, having lost his father and, having feel, and, and just the, the, having the guilt associated with the involvement possibly in that and failing his mother and being able to bring his father home. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very deep for him. Uh, excellent point about the coffin. I hadn't looked at it from that perspective, so. Very cool. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So um, finally, uh, it's nighttime and we're back at the beach. Everyone is gathered around small fires. Um, we see Claire being fed water by Boone. Um, Charlie comes in immediately and stops him, asking him where he got the water. Um, we next see Boone down on the ground, um, surrounded on all sides, uh, being asked questions by Charlie and Michael. Boone is kind of stammering that no one would under- have understood, that someone had to take responsibility um, after Jack left. Um, Charlie pushes Boone down um, for a second time, and just as a fight is about to break out, we hear Jack's voice saying, leave him alone. And everyone turns to see Jack standing there, uh, and there is a moment of silence where everyone is just kind of recognizing that Jack is back. Um, Jack takes the opportunity um, to assume um, his his newly understood role as a leader, I think, and uh, begins to address everyone, saying, you know, it's been six days, and we're all still waiting. Um, he goes on to, to say to everyone that, that no one has come, and um, and he poses the question, what if they don't? He goes on to say they need to stop waiting and start figuring out how to live as one people instead of every man for himself, that they need to learn how to survive here, that he's found water in the valley, and that each person can choose whether or not to come, but they all need to find some way to contribute, um, that they must learn to live together or die alone. 
Um, we see um, uh, then uh, we cut to this, this very the very last scene where we see everyone rationing and, and sharing the water supply that's left. Sawyer asks Boone what it feels like to be at the top of everyone's most hated list, um, and to which he, he himself answers, it sucks, don't it? Which lets us know that Sawyer really does kind of care what everyone thinks, and, and he does want to be liked. Um, Kate brings Jack water and asks where Jack was today. Jack says he had to take care of a few things. Uh, Kate says that's all she's going to get, huh? And uh, Jack begins to, um, to confide in Kate and, and tells her that his dad died and that um, he's very sorry and he's very sad about it. So he, he and then we get the lost screen. Um, which, as you pointed out in your notes, Matt, and there was no thud, um, which I hadn't noticed before that. Um, but it, it was it was good to see this ending where where Jack is, you know, he really he really is becoming a little bit vulnerable and sharing something with Kate, which is good since Kate so much of Kate's life already has been shared with Jack. Um, and um, as a resolution, um, this scene is just showing us that Jack is the leader, even though he's a little broken. And um, in my opinion, that it's his nature um, to, to, to lead and it's his role to play in this situation. Um, and a role perhaps he's always been groomed for at some level. So um, we get the feeling that everyone's tie, tied together and that their survival depends on, on them being able to learn to survive together and to tolerate one another, which is um, a lesson that we're still learning even in the modern world. So, um, so it, was, it was a good resolution, I thought. What did you think, Matt? Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. And and the only other additions to the notes, since you spelled that out so well that I would put, is that, uh, of course, this is the scene where we have the full revelation of the life and death theme for the first time uh, by Jay Kino. And also that uh, live together, die alone, and every man for himself, two phrases from his speech, also uh, become titles for later episodes. Live together, die alone was the season finale for season Two, and every man for himself was a Jack centric, or pardon me, a Sawyer centric episode in season three. So kind of interesting there. Hmm. Um, and uh, I, you know, again, it, this is Jack embracing his role as leader. Uh, it, you pretty much stated it very well in in, in your recap of it. So uh, with that, I guess we'll go on to theories. Unless you have anything else? No, no, let's go. All right, so on to the theory section. Besides, Faraday's got some interesting theories on what we can and can't do here. Keys to Lost, theory section. All right, um, Leslie, do you want to start or do you want me to? Sure, I'll start. Okay. Um, this in, this week in this episode, um, you know, we touched on we touched on some of these things earlier, but um, I have to wonder if. Um, if John was sent to, to, to rescue Jack by Jacob or Auntie Jacob or, um, as your theory might support, Matt, the, the smoke monster divided into three, um, and, 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 what, um, and, and if it was a success or a failure, um, you know, if they were trying to save Jack, if they were trying to kill Jack, if, you know, Christian was being used as a lure to, to, to get him over that cliff and to put an end to him, um, um, these are these are questions I have. I, I, I mean, I'm not sure that I have a theory to really explain them, but um, they certainly kind of came out screamingly to me in uh, in this in this episode. Um, 
Oh, my, my, the, 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 something that, that really, really kept kind of haunting my mind is when, when, when Jack finally gets close to Christian and Christian is standing there with his back to him, he really seems like he's just, he almost looks like he's just being propped up. You know, like his head is kind of hanging forward. He looks kind of like he's just like sagging forward. His shoulders are sagged down. And then we, and then the, the shot goes quickly to Jack's face, who's, you know, kind of freaking out because he's so close to, to his father. And then it goes back to, to Christian. And the next shot looks like he's standing more erect, like he's standing more straight up, like he's, you know, like he's a normal guy standing there. And I, I, I don't know if that's just me being, you know, really, really overly um, analytical of, of these shots, but they really seem different. And um, in thinking about it further, I just wonder if that was about the same time that we saw Claire pass out, since we, you know, we know that there's a connection between, between Claire and Christian. And um, that that was that was that was the, the the big one I had like if there was some possible connection between between Claire and and um, Christian actually being able to move because he's just standing there like he can't move like he can't do anything and then all of a sudden he's kind of animated again and he's moving. So, um, yeah, I mean, kind of kind of weakened at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's so funny that you say that. I was totally thinking that exact thing. Like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, totally weakened at Bernie's. I mean, look at him standing there. He just doesn't, I don't know. Exactly, yeah. Um, oh. And I, I wonder, too, if, if the, 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 um, the, the Claire and Jack both being present on the island, if that doesn't have something to do with possibly with the ability of Christians to, to manifest or, or to come back to life on the island. Wow. Cool. I, I I had answers for you. But, uh, yeah, actually, the, 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 Come on, the, Matt, answer all my questions. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I certainly wish I could, because if I could answer some of these questions, then I would probably already be able to tell you how season six would end. Um, at, at any rate, uh, let, let, let's look at the whole, the, the whole um, Jacob anti-Jacob thing, because that is the big question now as we look at this back through, uh, as Mr. Yanko likes to say, through season five eyes. This, I think, whoever is manifesting Christian at this point, and it's quite possible that this is the body, actual body of Christian. We can't rule that out. And especially just due to that note that you just made, and that is that he didn't seem to be very erect. Like, the animation is not as 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 um, full while the while he's waiting for Jack to catch up. It's like let's rest, and so if you just have a dead body that's just there, you know. And then and then when Jack now all of a sudden Jack's there, and now he's suddenly a little more erect. I mean that could be one possible explanation is that we're actually looking at a a controlled uh, uh, a. A controlling of the actual body of Christian. I personally yeah, don't. Yeah. I, I personally don't believe that, but you could point to that as evidence, uh, as that being the case. Mm-hmm. I believe that all of these appearances of Christian, uh, and they may be a, you know, they may be a possession, I guess, as you say, as you could say, of the body, but they're 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 clearly to me, they are created or, or they are made possible by the smoke monster, which can be, in my opinion, is kind of this free agent, three-headed, three free agent 
which uh, is controlled partially by Jacob, partially by anti-Jacob, and partially by the character of maybe the island itself. And um, I, I, I think you have to look and ask yourself, what was the intent of the manifestation of Christian in order to try and determine who it was, which is what I'm getting, trying to get into in, in, in my section of the theory series. There, there's a number of questions that you could make or another number of arguments that you can make either way. Um, it does depend on the ultimate goal. If the goal is merely to help the Losties find water, that seems much more Jacob-oriented to me. You know, let's, let's help these people. I brought them here, and, and I want them to survive, so I'm going to help them. You know, if, if Christian's sole purpose is merely to lead back to water, and the fact that he tripped and nearly fell off the cliff was mere coincidence, or accident, um, then then you know then I think we could say that, that Jacob is the one who is 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 animating Christian, or or the smoke monster as controlled by Jacob is animating Christian. Um, also, to launch Jack into that leadership role uh, when he's kind of dragging his feet. This could be looked at uh, from either side. Uh, you could say that. Well, if a lot of things are going to happen that are possibly bad, this could be the anti-Jacob controlling Christian uh, in order to get Jack into a leadership role, which would kind of coincide with, with Locke's whole kind of subterfuge, subterfuge uh, manipulation of, of Jack about leadership uh, in that scene as well. If he's being infected by the illness with a smoke monster, um, who's to say that that's not the, the same intent as, as the smoke monster in order to get Jack to be a leader? If he's, because later on in another episode, Jack's going to say, we should move to the caves. What does moving to the caves do? It divides our losses. We have a, a group of people who maintain that they need to stay on the beach. We have a group that maintain that they need to move to the caves for better shelter. Uh, we have a division. Uh, and as we all know, divisions lead to disagreements, which lead to uh, battles, usually, at least in most of our, our, uh, our, our literary kind of techniques that we see uh, applied to television and movies and books and everything else. So that, that's another possibility that would point maybe towards the anti-Jacob. Or is this merely a test? Is this uh, uh, something to, to test Jack? Uh, either by the island, uh, the the third character of the smoke island or of the smoke monster, which is the island, is it testing Jack to find his his will, his fortitude, to find out more about him, to see if he's worthy uh, to to be on the island or not, um, and uh, or the other possibility is, of course, Christian leading Jack to his death, which could either be a Jacob or an anti-Jacob thing. Think if you think about it, uh, if if anti-Jacob's idea about how to make the long-term game, and I think this is what we're seeing here, is, is, is Jacob and anti-Jacob constantly out long-term thinking each other. And, and that uh, might even lead to another possibility, which I'll get to in a second. But if this is to try and kill Jack, is it possible that Jacob would be the one trying to kill Jack because the leadership of Jack is the one, is, is what happens uh, uh, to uh, cause a lot of the division and everything that allows uh, Antilock to find the loophole. I personally don't 
really believe that because I don't believe that Jacob would have touched Jack if he didn't want Jack to be there for a certain purpose. Um, when, like when uh, Jacob touched Jack in, in the incident in season five. Yeah, I totally um, agree with that, Matt. Yeah, uh, but it's a question that still has still bears being thrown out there. And the, these kind of these kind of things are, are are all the possibility of that maybe there's more than one manifestation of Christian running around, even in this small chain of events. I mean, there's so many ways you can wrap your head around this. If 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 Jack is seeing Christian uh, that seeing a Christian that's trying to kill him, and in the next one he's seeing one that's leading him to water. Who's to say that one of, the, one of the manifestations isn't controlled by Jacob and one isn't controlled by anti-Jacob? There, there, there's, so, there's so many possibilities that I, I don't think until we see more clearly through season six eyes that we'll be able to look back on this and say one way or the other. But in the meantime, I'm kind of going to theorize myself that this manifestation of Christian right now is anti-Jacob. Uh, because there's more circumstances that would lead to dissension and division in 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 uh, in this chain of events than if Jacob was the one who was was manifesting Christian in order to help Jack. I wouldn't argue with that. And uh, the other thing is is um, Locke in the eye of the island, and I think I pretty much explained this in, in when we in our scene breakdown, but. Uh, time is relative. Robin, who's on the panel at Lost a Heart Rewatch, um, asks if it's coincidence uh, uh, that Jack nearly died because of Christian's smoke leading uh, Smokey and then the sudden appearance of Locke and that Locke knows where to look. All of this stuff suggests that Locke has a superior flow of information from the island, not something like he had even in the first two or three episodes. But now he has definitely been affected in some way, shape, or form by the smoke monster. Um, and, and, and what we will, what I, again, will equate to as the illness, as demonstrated in, in Robert, who is part of Danielle's team, uh, and actually Alex's father. Um, so that's all I have for theories this week, I suppose. Uh, there is one other thing. We got an email from Stephen in Coventry, England. I'm going to see if I can find that real quick and read it because he uh, sent me an email uh, and I want to go ahead and read this one now rather than in the feedback section. Um, he submitted a number of theories and everything which uh, we're going to I'll, I'll read some of them in next week's theory special uh, also. But um, he says seeing as you're discussing Smokey uh, this is relevant if info. The official podcast of March 21st 2008, Damon and Carlton categorized some of the apparitions and other things that we have seen as being Smokey-related or not. And here's the list. Ben's mom, an apparition. The Sawyer boar, uh, which is an outlaw's animal. Uh, Nikki and Paulo spiders are monster-related, although I think that was done as a joke. Um, the early bird, there was no comment. Um, Hurley's Dave a figment of imagination slash apparition. Yummy, monster associated. Nadia the cat, uh, just an animal. That was Mikhail's cat in um, Inter 7-7. Um, Walt, apparitions 
and monster-related, like uh, when he appeared at the Dharma Pit to John at the end of Season 3. Um, Boone in Locke's dream, simply that, a dream, uh, and Kate's horse. Darlton, uh, Damon and Carlton jokingly say that it's in the undead category on, on their wall, but uh, go on to say that only two others in the undead category are Yimmy and Christian. So Christian being undead, are we supposed to say that that is, in fact, his body? That's pretty interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know that Yimmy's body was on the beach craft, though. And if he's categorized in the same way as Christian, does that mean that Christian's body isn't there necessarily? Or that, yeah, I mean, they, they, they still have so much ambiguity in, in all of this that it's just impossible to say. But it makes it fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, even undead is kind of unclear. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah, is that is that an un, undead walking body? Uh, yeah, they said they have they have a, a three they have three categories that they place the uh, the headshots of the actors that have played these people in, and one is dead, one is living, and one is undead. And uh, so far, the only three in in the undead category are Kate's horse from uh, what Kate did, and then um, uh, Yemi and and Christian. Um, and then, of course, there's there's lots of folks that are in the dead category, and still a few folks in the living category. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting to to, to note all of that. Um, if you want to listen, that that podcast, the official podcast, uh, is still available at abc.com. Um, you can still download it uh, or listen to it on their website. And I'm pretty. I don't know if it's still available on iTunes or not. I don't know if they've had too many uh, podcasts to work how it falls off the marker or not on that. Uh, but the official podcast, I have found not always to be having true information simply for the fact that you can't, you know, if you're, if you're the writer of a show and you want somebody to watch, to watch your show the next season, you don't exactly want to tell them what's going to be in the next season before it happens. You know, and, and so Damon and Carlton have misled us in many ways. Um, even in these official podcasts when they say they're giving an answer, are they really giving an answer? For instance, they said there would be no time travel. In, uh, I think it was in season one or something like that um, to answer a question in a, in a podcast. They said, no, we, we're sticking, to, to, we're sticking to, to real science, and so you won't see things like time travel. And yet, what did we see in season five? Time travel. So, you know, because you don't want to give that away. And I totally understand that. Um, and so, I'm, I, you know, I take some of, some of this stuff of, of off this list uh, with a grain of salt and say that none of it, not all of it's answerable yet. All right. Okay. So anything else on the theories? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, then why don't we move on to the Santi section? All right. The Santi section. Leslie's topic of the week. This week in the Santi section, um, I just kind of wanted to point out that kind of overarching theme that I see in this Jack-centric episode, which is the nature versus nurture um, um, issue. Um, It seems to me like... um, our natures are kind of um, um, within us, are kind of our, our unknown compass. 
while our experiences and our close relationships are our maps and road signs as we are kind of going through our lives and going through these situations. Um, it takes a lot to move um, past the, 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 the conditioning that we've been brought up um, in or that we've been shown through our own experiences. Um, and a, a lot of the time they, they can be in conflict with our nature. So um, I think watching Jack struggle with these two things is a really kind of beautiful illustration of this concept, even though it's very difficult and very emotional to watch him process. Um, he, he continues to struggle with this for the entire series, and we see it over and over. Um, but uh, he does become better at it and, um, and, and tends to widen his perspective, allowing for new influence and, and, um, and changes in, in his maps as we go along. Um, but I just, you know, I, I really enjoy some of the, the themes that the, the writers use in Lost like this. You know, they're, they're, they're long withstanding, you know, well-informed kind of theories like this that tend to incorporate the psychology of the, of the characters along with, you know, the, the spiritual or emotional um, sides of them. So it's very cool, especially given the kind of magical content of the island as a, as a playing field or, or as a backdrop to see these kind of issues playing out. You know, again, you can really take it back to the same kind of yin and yang um, 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 angle that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, you know, when we're thinking about the natures of, of Jacob and anti-Jacob, of dark and light, of, um, of nature versus nurture, of, you know, last week I was talking about the physical survival of everyone compared with the spiritual survival of them and how they're each, you know, as a character trying to um, trying to accomplish both of these things. They're all trying to reach a balance, you know, um, which is perhaps what the island is there to do, is to help them find out what that balance is. And, and, and most of them don't ever reach it, you know, and, and, you know, you could really take that a step further and wonder if any of us ever reach that in our lives or not. Um, you know, I, I think that the universe in general, just as kind of a scientific principle, is always trying to achieve a balance, you know, and, and I, I think maybe the island is, is no different in that way. So so this week on the Santee section, I just kind of wanted to point out that really, um, at least very obvious to me in this episode, um, White Rabbit, that, you know, there's a real strong nature versus aspect of, um, that's really apparent in, in Jack's history and, and what he's dealing with currently and what we'll see him deal with in, in all the, the episodes to come. The Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. In this week's Giacchino Moment, we're going to explore a four-note motive which is exclusive to this episode, White Rabbit. I don't think I've heard this theme used in any other time. And it's used principally when Jack is chasing Christian. The motive changes by one note from the first sequence to the second. It resolves down a half step as, as it ends. Let me play for you the theme itself.
Now, each of those four note motives are the notes themselves are derived from a harmonic minor scale. Let me play an example of that scale, and within this scale, you will find each of the notes from the four note motives. Now, the beauty of the harmonic minor scale is that it does create oh, what I'll call the snake charmer kind of sound. It's that half step between the fifth of the chord and the sixth of the chord where normally you would hear a whole step. What happens here is we're basing the four note motives on a first suspended chord and then on a resolved chord but still having that flatted sixth involved, that half step, which creates that kind of almost Middle Eastern or uh, another way to look at it is kind of eerie feeling. So let me play for you the, the first four note motive and the chord that it creates if you play all four notes at the same time. Now right here, not only is the chord not resolved, um, it is suspended, which means that the top note is going to have to come down a half step, but you also have that half step right together between uh, the F and the F sharp or G flat, which creates this tension. Uh, even though the notes aren't played together at the same time in the, in the music on, on the theme, you get that sense of tension by the raising of the melody and then dropping down to the fifth and then all the way up to the B flat. This is a, a, a great device of creating tension. And now the second part of that motive just changes one note. It changes from the B flat, the last note, goes down the half step to the resolve the chord, but there is still tension because of the difference between the F and the F sharp both present. And here's that example. And so even though those notes are played individually and you don't hear them together, still there's a psychological effect created uh, by that sequence that almost makes you hear all of those notes together and really hear that tension between the first two notes of the motives. And that really creates this eerie, slightly scary, and almost magical kind of feel. And so now let's go into the clips themselves. This first one is when Boone and Jack are arguing and he sees Christian at the edge of the jungle on the beach and decides to go running after him. You're going to hear the, the first part of the melody and then very much in the background you'll hear this, the resolution because he hasn't quite gotten there yet. And then when he finally gets to Christian, then you'll hear both motives played at the same time and even though you'll feel a slight sense of resolution because we now know who it is you still it will be very tense because of course Christian is not supposed to be there and so therefore it, it's it's a wonderful device that Giacchino uses here let's listen to this first clip from White Rabbit what gives you the right look at me hey I'm talking to you look at Jack Hey, where are you going? Hey!
bad. Wow, what a creepy scene, right? And helped certainly by the large percussion and such, which goes accompanying with this very light, very airy, but creepy little four-note motive. Let's go ahead and listen to the next scene, and this is where Jack is continuing to chase Christian through the jungle, uh, almost up until the time where he trips and almost falls off the cliff. just uh, creepy in itself and they, they kind of lengthened the, the, the motive itself a little bit just in terms of its tempo uh, which creates even that much more tension and of course that's right before Jack uh, trips and then, and then falls down the cliff and is hanging on for dear life when Locke finds him and that's the Giacchino moment for this week Is the lost community over theorizing? I do think we're going to see everybody get back together at some point. I can't imagine them finishing up the last season without having everybody being back in the same place. The Keys to Lost Theories Cast Special. I think um, they did flash out. Whether they flashed to 2007 or just to a different point in space, I can't really say, but I I don't think everything's going to be reset to, you know, LAX. A lot of people believe the Losties, after the incident, are going to not go back to LAX, but will be back to 07. And so I kind of think that's what's going to happen, the whole they are coming. July 14th, 10.05 Eastern Daylight Time on TalkShoe. But that's something that I could see happening to Juliet, is that she's, she's still alive because she was so close to the source. If I'm invested in this Mobius strip, a bunch of things are going to happen over. We're going to revisit them. Because the incident was not what happened in 1977. The incident was what happened in 2007. Killing Jacob was the incident. There are definitely two smoke monsters. There's one black and one white, not to me, you know, discriminate. So you're not giving up on that theory. No, I am absolutely not. There's two of them. I don't think, I don't think it's actually going to have anything to do with Oceanic Flight 815, uh, Season 6. And I think that each of Jacob's touches weren't to direct them at a point in their lives, but was to bring them to the statue at the point of his death. The Keys to Lost Theories Cast Special, July 14th, 10.05 Eastern Daylight Time, on TalkShoe. Let's go on to listener feedback. 
Thanks for getting my back with that old beach issue. You should thank me. It was a stupid idea. Let's hope you figure out something better before we get there. Well, I'm open to suggestions. Listener feedback. Okay. Uh, Leslie, do you want to start with the emails or me? The first one is the one that I read in the theory section. Sure, I'll start. Um, it looks like we have an email from Nathaniel Starr. Um, he says, wrote this up really quick in like five minutes. It's just a theory, of course, but I think at least some of it will play out. And uh, it's titled Lost Season 6, um, Island Present Day, Just After the Killing of Jacob. There is a flash like before when the button wasn't pushed or the turning of the failsafe. Cut to a plane that looks like 815, but the person stressing like Jack and the pilot is a different man. Things play out the same, but the faces are different. The plane crashes. The circumstances of the crash start to play out, but it's completely different actors playing the parts. It's revealed that the characters in the in this crash are Aaron uh, Gian. Do I know who that is, Matt? Gian. That's uh, oh, Gian. That's son's daughter. Son's, okay, yeah, sorry about that. Um, Charlie, the son of Desmond, Walt, and some new characters. Um, they are adults or close to it. They are tormented by Smokey, too, and things seem to be happening all over again. Um, this is great. Um, eventually, Jack, Kate, Hurley, Saeed, Miles, Jen, and Jack show up and meet this new group. Son gives the drive shaft ring to Aaron, and this drives him to find his mother. Things progress as the evil ruler of the island torments them until they find their way into the temple. They, f they find the magic box deep inside the island, and Aaron climbs inside the box, disappearing. Aaron becomes Jacob when he becomes one with the universe. He splits into two, the yin and yang, all his bad feelings from being taken from his mother to be raised by Kate and then abandoned by her become Aseo. All that is good of him becomes Jacob. Over time, he disputes with himself whether mankind is worth existing. Back on the island, the new characters are reunited with possessions of the past. The guitar in the case is given to Desmond's son, who remembers who he was, that being Charlie Pace reincarnated. This happens for many of the new characters as they start to remember who they were in past lives. The new actor that reminded you of John Locke turns out to be John Locke. <laughs> Meanwhile, Desmond and Penny go to look for their son, they again cross paths with Ms. Hawking, who tells them where he is. This time Desmond goes willingly. They find the island again, but Charlie won't go. In the end, it comes down to convincing Esau that... Who, wait, who's Esau? Uh, Esau. Oh, Esau. I'm sorry. Yeah. You should read these, Matt, really. <laughs> Esau, that he is wrong about humanity. Um when he's about to pull the plug on hum humanity by using the magic box to undo everything, he realizes why it all happened and decides not to do it. In the end, they all decide to live on the island together forever. Jack and Kate make some comment that they were there before, too. Then the island vanishes. It doesn't cover everything, but I think that's the gist of the final season. Um, wow, that is awesome. Matt, you got a comment on that. Oh, uh, that's definitely creative. I, I can definitely give it that. Um, that would yeah, be that's very, detailed, right? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an extremely detailed season six outlook, and uh, it's 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 definitely an interesting read. Um, I'm not sure that I agree with, with all of it, although I do think that we will see these children um, and, and possibly in a, in, a, in, in, 
in the in far in the future, um, I do think we will see these children as older uh, as older people, uh, and they will be important to the island somehow. I just can't imagine with especially as we've been looking through the the the, the, the season one and and starting to see the importance of Aaron. Um, I can't imagine him not being part of the show uh, in this final season, or, or Walt, uh, for that matter. We've discussed that here before. It, it, again, it'll be difficult to say, and it will, it will depend on negotiations with actors. But as for Aaron, if you were to, to place him in as an older person, um, you can basically cast anybody, and so that would be a very easy uh, thing to do. So thanks, Nathaniel. That was great. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next email. We actually got two from this person, and I'm going to have trouble with this name. It's Lost815 by 30, uh, F-E-Y. Is that Faye? Or yeah. is it just F-E-Y? Okay, so Lost815 by 30, Faye. Uh, and she sent us, he or she sent us two emails this week. Um, first one is, hey, keys to Lost. I just subscribed to you for the Lost rewatch, and I must say you are a great podcast. I love your setup, and especially your section entitled The Giacchino Moment, blah, 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 blah. We won't go into self-adulation here. Let's see. Uh, second, I must agree with you. There is no way Adam and Eve are Rose and Bernard. Yay, one for Matt. Um, this is num- for numerous reasons, and I, I won't point out the difference in how many oh, in how many years they need to degrade. I think he's talking about the clothing. Um uh, if the bomb went off, it would seem Rose and Bernard would go through anything the other Losties from 1977 will go through, meaning that if they were to travel 30 years in the future, Rose and Bernard would as well, it seems. Okay. The producers have specifically said that Adam and Eve will be an answer revealed in the finale that will prove to everyone that the writers knew exactly where they were headed since the very beginning. If A and E, Adam and Eve, are Rose and Bernard, this proves nothing. Okay. Uh, three, this leads me to believe that Adam and Eve are characters that we have already seen. But here's my theory on them. I believe that whoever are indeed Adam and Eve were killed or died on the island in the past. And then Auntie Jacob would have taken over their forms and become who, who let's see, and become characters that are in the show right now. Remember, Auntie Jacob took on the form of Locke, but Locke's dead body still existed separately. There's another key as to uh, what about Christian. Hmm. Hadn't even thought about it in that perspective. Let's see. You're probably thinking, yeah, that makes sense, but what about Auntie Jacob already being in the form of Locke? Can he manifest more than one thing at a time? I believe the answer is yes. This is why in the episode Namaste, that Son and Frank see a weakened form of Smokey in the jungle when they return to the main island in 2007. Now, I know you don't believe that Smokey and Auntie Jacob are the same thing, but I have to disagree. I do think Auntie Jacob is Smokey and that he divided himself into at least four entities, weak Smokey, Locke, Adam, and Keith. I think a big shock in the final minutes of the finale will be figuring out that two of our beloved characters are also manifestations of anti-Jacob, and they actually died a long time ago. Thanks for listening to my ramblings. Lost 815 by 30 Faye. So, that's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, to, to think that there are two characters who are going to find out in the end have been dead for a long time, that's that's really cool. It gives me that same kind of, like, freaky excitement that I got. Um, I, I don't know if anybody was a fan of the Battlestar Galactica series, but not knowing who the last, who the final five Cylons were until, like, you know, that last season was, was, was pretty much the same kind of on-the-edge-of-your-seat kind of feeling. I think that's a great theory. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I think it would be a, it would be a really cool twist to find out that a couple of our characters, like, what if we found out, like, you know, like, Kate and Saeed were, have been dead for a long time. You know, I mean, that would be, that would be a serious, ground-shaking kind of, kind of revelation, I think. Yeah, that could uh, very well would be definitely a ground-shaking kind of thing. And uh, just happy to have a little bit of support that I don't believe that uh, Adam and Eve or Rose and Bernard, because I've been, I've been chomping on that for, well, since, since the incident, um, when people were saying, oh, but look, they look like Moses, and, and, and the Moses reference and all this <laughs> dating on back to Adam and Eve. Sorry to pick on you, Leslie. I know you were one of them, too. No, but that's I, okay. Uh, but I just I just can't see any possible plausible correlation between the two. There's no evidence that that points to it in my mind, and I, I just think that Rose and Bernard aren't important enough characters. No offense, they're lovable characters, but they're not important enough characters to be Adam and Eve. So um, moving on, I guess we got another um, another uh, um, email from Lost Eight One Five by Thirty Fay, and uh, they say hello again. In your walkabout podcast, you asked what the machine was beside Locke's bed. Someone told you it was a TV. I was skeptical and looked on Lostpedia. Here's what it says: quoted quote In the flashback, Locke has an electromedical nerve stimulation machine by his bed. It is a Pro Elect DT electromedical device from Heiko Med used for stimulating motor nerves for the purpose of providing muscle re-education. And oh my god, did you hear about the extra hour of loss next season? 18 hours now, not 17. They say another story needs to be explained. Could this really be Libby's? Please, please. <laughs> Hopefully they'll address it at Comic-Con. Can't wait for your next podcast. Lost 815 by 30. Bye. Um, right on. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. I really did wonder. It seems like that might, you know, it, it didn't. I, I thought maybe it could be a TV, but it would have to have been a, an old school TV. Um, so that would make sense. Uh, muscle re-education based on, you know, his um, his injury. That that would totally make sense. And he was turning it off as he got onto the phone. So um, with Helen. So that was, um, yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. That's great. And isn't it funny that probably if if you'd if you'd have known that if you'd have been able to recognize that in the episode you would have known that Locke was in a wheelchair before anybody else would before it was actually revealed that he was in a wheelchair. They put that yeah. because that flashback was what somewhere in the middle of the episode. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. didn't know yet. And 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 I didn't even think about that. You know, again, that's one of those things like your tattoo earlier that I just didn't even notice <laughs> because. I, I don't know. I, I I get so involved in 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 other things that I, I sometimes the things that are right under your nose are the things that that escape me. So <laughs> okay, I'm not going to read this email, but I am going to thank. I want to thank uh, Tony uh, from the UK. Uh, he was said that he was sorry that we didn't get any emails this last week, and that he'd fire one off, and and he wanted to know that wanted us to know that he. Uh, 
sent that he he liked our podcast. So thank you very much, Tony, for your words of encouragement. We did end up getting lots of emails this week, thank goodness. And if you want to send an email to us, please do so at keystolost, K-E-Y-S-T-O-L-O-S-T, at gmail.com. Or we also have a listener uh, line, which is located at our blog. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me right now. Um, but if you go to our blog at keystolost, K-E-Y-S-T-O-L-O-S-T, dot blogspot.com, uh, our listener line uh, is listed right up at the top, and you can call us and leave us a voicemail comment if you wish. I will read a comment that we got from that blog, and that was from someone who's actually in the chat room with us right now, from Matt from MK Lost, um, which is another great podcast. Um, and I, 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 uh, he had read my theory that I put out on the blog about the smoke monster, and he says, Awesome thoughts on the smoke monster. I came to the website to say I keep meaning to join in on the podcast. Things just keep happening. Our podcast, we recently discussed the smoke monster and found ourselves bringing Locke seeing the smoke monster as a bright light in season one. That truly speaks volumes because every time we see it, otherwise it's a, it's a black smoke. Leaning to the fact that it's at least two entities. We were thinking a third might possibly be on the island, just can't figure out how it all fits in. And this pertains to my theory that um, the, uh, the smoke monster uh, is, is, is one entity, but a three-headed Cerberus-like entity, which is controlled by the island, by Jacob, and by anti-Jacob, depending on which head is controlling the monster at the time, which is, creates all of these differences in the manifestations and all of that. Uh, which we will discuss next week on the theory show, I'm sure, and I'm sure that uh, people like Axel F from uh, Axel Foley from the Lost Mythos Theory Cast will have his thoughts on that, and Nancy Drew will have her thoughts, and and you'll have your thoughts, and we'll all just have a great time talking about the theories of Lost. <laughs> and um, yes, we will. And we have one other email from uh, TMGL who said, um, this would certainly indicate another element of religious symbolism, the Trinity, though I'm not sure the direct analogies are there for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the writers rarely go for the explicit, uh, but tend to employ variations on various themes. One thing for sure, John Locke has been lying, sabotaging, and just generally engaging in some suspicious slash inexplicable behavior ever since his first encounter with Smokey and Walkabout. What I'm hoping for in Season 6 is a Locke-centric episode using a structure similar to the other 48 days, filling in the missing pieces, showing what really occurred during that first encounter, what secret did he really tell Walt, exactly why he clocked Saeed, and how he just happened to come upon Jack hanging from the cliff, how he really found Sawyer and Kate in order to enjoy that cup of coffee and impart the parable of his mother's dog, it's not your fault, etc., etc., and that's just two-thirds of the way into season one. The season two through four rewatches will remind us of many more such instances, I'm certain. Reaching back or forward a little further, exactly what did Jacob's touch accomplish, besides apparently bringing John back from the dead? As John says in Walkabout, I've been preparing for this for years. Obviously, he's not the only one. Yeah, that's 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 a great email. Thanks for, thanks for writing in. Um... Um, I think I, I agree mostly with what you're saying. Um, it's clear that John Locke has been doing some pretty crazy things for a while. Um, I'd love to, to, to see another Locke-centric episode filling in those pieces, Matt. What do you think? 
Yeah, that that would be awesome. And and we should note uh that um uh TMG Lost uh has a blog on its own um that features haikus uh which in caps that kind of uh synops or offer as a synopsis of each episode. So you should go to uh TMG Lost dot com uh and read some of some some of his haikus. Those are awesome. Nice. Yeah. And um but yeah, as far as uh seeing uh one more lock centric episode, I think that would be very interesting and, and it's quite a real possibility. I think that the fans are kind of gonna demand that regardless of whether Locke is actually dead now for sure forever or not. And it's looking more and more, especially after the end of season five, um, that he is. I I think it would be kind of as Anna and uh Denise from Jacob's Cabin had mentioned on their last podcast that it might be kind of silly to to try and reintroduce the resurrection theme again with John Locke, since it's been brought up and shot up and down twice now, um, and so on. Um, and even uh, uh, there, there's there, there's been speculation that that uh, Terry O'Quinn, of course, will be playing just playing the anti-Locke this whole next season. Um, we but of course we don't have any confirmation of one thing or another on that and. Even though there's been some statements made by Terry O'Quinn, his are, are, are just as subjective as anybody else's, but I won't say what he said uh, simply for the fact that we try to remain spoiler-free. Uh, and finally, I want to thank uh, Stephen, again, from Coventry, in England, uh, for his numerous emails this week that he sent, uh, and many of them I will read on the theory show next week, which is July 14th at... Um, 10.05 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time here on TalkShoe. If you want to join us live, um, just go to TalkShoe.com and type in Keys to Lost and you'll find us and then you can join the chat. Um, and we would love to hear from you. We have more emails to read here in, uh, in our theory special. So if you want to send us an email again, send it to Keys to Lost at gmail.com or you can comment at our blog, which is Keys to Lost.blogspot.com. Live from California and Connecticut. Lost Revisited Now's Heath and Miss Wendy. Hello, Miss Wendy. Hello, Heath. Keys to Lost's Matt and Leslie. How are you doing, Leslie? I'm great. I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? To reveal their top ten favorite Lost episodes of all time. But then yeah. we go deeper, and the meanings aren't just saying, hey, yourself. I thought this was an excellent episode. July 21st, 2009. Just like Curly said, yay, we're rescued, we're saved, you know, to uh, the marshal to make sure he's unconscious. One of my all-time favorite episodes, actually, and... Me too! All-time top ten favorite lost episode. Live on Talk Shoe. And that one just occurred to me, probably too, because way back, it was the third episode, that Jack was the one who brought up about things not being buried. Definitely left me with my usual, no, oh, right at the end, so. The island, and I apologize to Miss Wendy for not noticing the difference of the color between that <laughs> and murder and destruction. <laughs> July 21st, 9 p.m. Eastern on Talk Shoe. <laughs> yeah. It took everything in perspective, and then it's like... The Keys to Lost Revisited Now Top 10 Lost Episodes List. 
closing her up. Closing thoughts. All right. Uh, as we get into closing thoughts, I I just wanted to say, uh, all in all, I really thought this was a great episode. Um, there's much mystery uh, as we've examined. Even if you're looking at it through season five eyes, there's still many, many questions that haven't totally been defined or answered. Um, there's some nice things pointing towards um, the infection of Locke. Uh, as as being affected by the sickness I, I'm referring to, at least in my mind. Um, the other comment is, is this is this is one of Matthew Fox's best acting jobs. Um, he he's always been a good actor, I guess. Uh, people probably saw him in Party of Five as well, which was kind of bubblegummy in my opinion. But but at any rate, he's done a really nice job in this series, and uh, this is one of his finer acting moments in in the series, I believe. I, I completely agree. Um, Matthew Fox was great in this, um, and just a good episode all around. I think you know, I think the writers did know what they were doing, and I think they're going to reference back to some of the things we're talking about now when they start answering final questions in season six. So I, I felt really strongly about that in rewatching it, even though it brought about a lot of other questions and, and theories to, to, to kind of ponder, like about Christian and about Smokey and about Locke's actions and. Um, you know, and some other things as well. Um, and, and, you know, even, you know, five, se- four seasons later, we're still asking these same questions. I, I do think they're going to be answered, and, and that points to some really good writing, I think, on, on the writer's part. So um, so I, I really enjoyed it in that way, and I also really, you know, on a rewatch, felt, felt more strongly connected to Jack's character even than I did the first time around. I think maybe the first time around and watching it, you know, I you kind of naturally fell in line, you know, for, for Jack as, as a character and, and, and became invested in him, but I was kind of overrun with a lot of questions, you know, or just being barraged by more and more questions at this point, um, you know, and I can't truly remember what that felt like knowing what we know now from all the, the seasons that have come since then. But um, but but really, really a great episode, and, and again, I really like the nature versus nurture theme that I saw. Um, we got, we did get a few answers, and um, and I thought it was cool to see some role reversals between Boone and Sawyer and Jack and Locke. Um, to watch the Losties function without a leader for a second, as Jack was off in the jungle doing what he needed to do. Um, uh, overall, I, I mean, again, big big thumbs up from from me. I, I really enjoyed this even more on a rewatch than I expected to. Me too, and great thoughts there. Um, so. Uh, before we go, we'll just uh, let everybody know what's going on with us in the next couple of weeks here. As far as the show is concerned, next week, July 14th, right here on Talk Show at 10.05 p.m. Eastern, uh, we're going to have a few podcasters together to talk, and anyone is welcome to call in and bring their own theories to the table. We're going to have a theory special. Uh, that's Tuesday, July 14th at 10.05 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, scheduled to appear so far, uh, Alex from Alex's Hiatus Podcast. Um, Axel Foley from the uh, Lost Mythos Theory Cast, uh, Nancy Drew from Lostaholics and from the Lostaholics Rewatch and the Black Rock. Uh, Kurt Yanko might appear from the Black Rock podcast. He hasn't fully committed yet. Donald from Donald is Lost has committed uh, to, to possibly showing up as well, so that should be fun. We had Donald on our hiatus uh, special uh, a few weeks ago, and he was great. And um, let's see what else is going on with that. We'll just discuss uh, various subjects. We kind of have a format as to what we'll be discussing, like the smoke monster, 
um, Jacob and, and uh, Esau or Auntie Jacob or whatever you want to call him. And uh, then on the 21st of July, which is the next Tuesday, we'll start an hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and we will have the top ten favorite episodes of Leslie and I's uh, Lost Episodes. And we'll be joined by Heath and Miss Wendy of Lost Revisited Now. This is going to be a lot of fun. I, I love hanging out with Heath and Miss Wendy over on, on their podcast occasionally. And they've been great on the Lostaholics Rewatch as well. It's been a lot of fun. Um, they, we're all going to each present our top ten favorite episodes. And, and Leslie, your list is almost done. Is that correct? Uh, yep, just about. All right. My list is done, and so is Heath. Um, and I've got to see his, and we have a lot of same, a lot of the same episodes. I have a feeling that we'll all have a lot of the same episodes, simply because some episodes do stand out more than others. Um, but it should still be fun to talk about them and what we like about them, and 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 uh, maybe we'll even do some honor, honorable mentions as well. And then, uh, as we always like to do, we as musicians, we both like to plug ourselves a little bit. Uh, and so, Leslie, you are playing where this week? This Friday and Saturday night, you can find me at the Lumiere Casino. Um, inside the Lumiere Casino, I'm playing at a place called Aqua, uh, which is really easy to find if you wander in there. Um, it is on the downtown landing near the river on um, 2nd Street or 1st Street. It's the huge, glowing <laughs> um, uh, Lumiere Casino down there, brand new, in the midst of all the historic streets. Um, and that's Friday night from 8 to 12. And I um, also just um, wanted to mention, um, it was pointed out to me that I um, I haven't ever mentioned where you can actually get um, my new EP, which is out, and it came out in September. You can find it um, through uh, MySpace, um, or you can find it at cdbaby.com. Um, um, and my uh, my playing name is actually Leslie Sanazero Santi, so... You need to look that up to find it. But if you're interested in uh, in the the music, you you can get it that way. Otherwise, um, if you're in the St. Louis area, I'll be at the Lumiere Casino this weekend. Um, and Matt, you've got a few different places you're you're playing. So uh, so where can we find you? Well, I'm going to be uh, this Friday. I will be in Edwardsville, Illinois, at their outdoor concert series with the Soulard Blues Band from 8 p.m. until 10 p.m. Then Saturday night, uh, you can catch me with Sular Blues Band at the Broadway Oyster Bar, which is 736 South Broadway, just a couple blocks south of the stadium in St. Louis. Um, that's from 10 p.m. until 2 a.m. And then I have to get up early the next morning and play at Squires, which is in Lafayette Square in St. Louis. Uh, I think that's 18th and Park. Um, the, uh, we play the brunch there. I just play solo piano from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. Uh, and then every Monday you can catch me with the Sular Blues Band at the Broadway Oyster Bar. Uh, once again, 736 South Broadway, and that's from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. It is a jam session, so any musicians who uh, want to come down and bring their acts and sit in, if you're qualified, we will definitely allow you to sit in with us and have some fun. Leslie, we need to get you down there for a jam session sometime. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I keep saying that, and I, I keep I keep wanting to to really push myself to do that, and uh, at, I'm going to least, sometime soon. I promise. At very least, come down and sing a few songs with us because you have such a lovely voice. Well, thank you. Yes, I'd love to. I'll definitely take you up on that. All right, then we will say thanks to everyone who came into the chat. Let me read off the names here. We have MK Lost, of course, Matt from the MK Lost podcast, Summertime. Uh, we want to thank St. Louis Steve, Natalie in Seattle, Buzz Meg, uh, Nancy Drew from Lost Holics, 
Boss Geek 108, Guest 10, and Mike Royer, who all came into the chat room with us tonight while we recorded the podcast. And until next time, stay lost. To leave your feedback on the show or your theories, call the Keys to Lost listener feedback line at area code 314-754-9662 or send an email to keystolost at gmail.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-L-O-S-T at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit the official Keys to Lost blog at keystolost.blogspot.com. Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening.